people are going to be writing about us for the rest of our lives probably, and after we're dead. So I intend to either confuse the issue so much they never knew what was going on, or to try and keep shoving out bits and bits. So as whoever is bothered to be looking at it in the future, the people that really know will sort out, you know, they'll know what was going on a bit. There's a lot of books about the Beatles, and a lot of theories, and I try not to read them. And whenever I do, the first thing is like, oh, that's wrong. Everywhere you go, trying to find out any little bit of dirt that they can write about you. Beatles is Beatles, that Beatles, Beatles, Beatles. It doesn't matter, you know, what, what people say. You can't live all your life by what they want. Another Kind of Mind, a different kind of Beatles podcast by Another Kind of Mind. Welcome to Strange Bedfellows, an ACOM series about Yoko Ono and Paul McCartney's struggle over legacy after John Lennon's death. This is episode four. In 1986, Paul told Chris Salowich that he'd been mistaken about Yoko, that he'd misunderstood her as a hard woman, but came to see her as loving and caring. Did that impression stick? Or did Paul eventually come around to thinking, nope, I was right about her all along. In the 80s and 90s, Yoko made a habit of comparing Paul unfavorably to her late husband. Has her attitude changed post Y2K? What does the new millennium hold for Yoko and Paul as they settle into their twilight years? Join us for an exploration of our favorite strange bedfellows in the 21st century. A fun mixture of Stroking, scratching, a little biting, a little bite here and there, a little, a little snap at the ankles, a little scratch under the chin. <laughs> <laughs> things get bad, things get good. They make nicety nice. And the Beatles continue to make money ad infinitum. Everybody agrees to shut up, shake hands, and cash the fucking checks. <laughs> You know what we haven't done, and I'm kind of proud of us, is that we haven't given Paul and Yoko like a ship name. And, oh, and I what? just realized what it's I realized what it is too. Poco sucks. Y'all doesn't like that's terrible. We can't do that. It's Pioko. Pioko. <laughs> it's, it's obviously Pioko. It is Pioko. <laughs> She came in and she said, it's John Cage's birthday and us artists want to collect a bunch of manuscripts to give him. Did she offer herself to you sexually? No. She did not. Did she you get the not. impression that she was there in order to score a beetle, so to speak? No. I didn't. Was it was all well, above board. You're saying well that with a smile. That there was a she knew of the Beatles. I don't know. You but know, of course, I mean, I mean I, if she I, knocked I, on your door, she knew you were a Beatle. And if she, and she wanted a manuscript of right. what? Of John Doe? Right. Yeah. So didn't you, in fact, laugh at her years later when she said, I didn't know who Jean was. I don't know Beatles. I never heard. You yeah. knew that that was not true. I don't know, man. I tell you, you know, you know, live and let live. It's too, 
too sort of, you know, life's too short for all that stuff. You know, we've been but through But you also have that. to share, you have to call her regularly to do Beatles business, right? So you have yeah. to get along with her. Yeah, to some degree, So, exactly. in fact, you said here today that Yoko, in fact, wanted you sexually and, in fact, <laughs> knew who the Beatles were, yeah. it would probably screw up your business dealings I'd with her. I'd be dead meat. Yeah. yeah, you would be dead, dead meat, meat in those meetings. No, it's, uh, you know, we haven't got the greatest relationship, that's true, but we get on. We're okay. You do? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. That was Paul on Howard Stern in 2001. That familiar story. I mean, to be fair, like, Howard explicitly solicited it. Oh, he pushed him. Yeah. Paul's like, okay, so here's my version. Yeah. He tells the exact same version that he's been telling forever. He's so like milk toasty. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, because, because Howard's calling her out so hard. He's like, yeah, she's a liar. She yeah. just came right out and lied and said that she didn't know you and you knew her before. And Paul's like, well, I just stopped. But then yeah. immediately, immediately agrees, basically. Yeah, it's actually, yeah. it's a good strategy, really, because it, let, it lets Howard be the bad guy, which Paul doesn't want to be. No, but which so, Howard's eminently yeah. willing to be. Yes, yes. <laughs> He's like, Paul, I'm so outraged on your behalf. I know, and right. Let's Paul go, well, yeah, yeah. That John Cage story shows that she knew that I was into fucking avant-garde is the whole fucking reason she came to my house. Mm-hmm. It's a good talking point because it sets that whole narrative up. And then it doesn't embarrass Yoko in any... Like, there's nothing embarrassing. Exactly. Yeah. And he makes sure to say, like, no, I didn't say she was hitting on me or trying to sleep with me or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, so there's there's nothing here that Yoko could have justifiably been angry about i'm pretty sure she would have appreciated a more emphatic denial that she wanted to bang (laughs) paul i mean that dead meat comment like paul is essentially saying no howard it wasn't like that but if it was like that i wouldn't tell you i don't mean to harp on yoko Mm -mm. but the thing that bothers me is the way john didn't provide in a will for julian which i think he didn't get john no he didn't get a share of john's wealth and i think that while money isn't everything it would have been at least a way of a father to remember his son julian doesn't have that either and why was yoko not inviting julian to this tribute why is it always sean Mm. i mean do you do you you know what i'm talking about i really do Hal. but the thing is tell you the truth i really don't want to get into that oh i do because i know you do and you know what if we weren't over six million listeners (laughs) i might talk to you baby really but uh i'm not going on air in public you don't want to ruin your whole relationship with yoko right here and then you know (laughs) because to me if you did it it would be great wait a minute maybe it's a great idea why not have it all out right now let me tell you baby The other thing, though, is that Paul definitely implies that, you know, when he says, I might, he implies that he agrees about Julian and, you know, could dish some dirt on Yoko, but he's above that. So he won't. Well, yeah, but he's in a he's in a delicate position because it's like being asked to choose between the two families. Yeah. I mean, Howard goes on and on about like he got cut out of this inheritance he doesn't even have john's personal items and mementos yoko doesn't include him and tributes and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so what's paul gonna say is he gonna be like yeah fuck julian who cares (laughs) definitely i think paul is the person that julian counts on keeping him in the beatles circle Mm -hmm. 
which is another thing, you know, another thing that probably impacts Paul and Yoko's relationship. But it's not something that Paul has ever spoken about. He can't talk about that in public. I mean, it's not, no. that's it, it's not his place. No, not at all. And he also has a relationship to maintain with Yoko and Sean. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's tough. Not to be harsh or whatever, but he doesn't have to maintain a relationship with Julian. They're yeah. not business partners. No. But again, yeah. that means, you know, the only person that Julian can appeal to is Paul. And he's just appealing to Paul's sense of duty and decency. Right. So, yeah, very, very awkward very awkward position for paul in summary what would we say about paul and howard stern in 2001 he's being he's being reasonably diplomatic uh letting letting howard throw the shade and being honest like he he says we don't have the greatest relationship that was very blunt i thought Mm -hmm. but we get on it's okay and then but then it's sort of interesting when howard says really and he's like yeah sure (laughs) (laughs) yes for the purposes of this interview sure (laughs) so i think it's pretty clear i think he's i think he's being pretty upfront here next we are moving on to a quote from yoko in 2002 from the tampa bay times The Tampa Bay piece was an interview to promote an exhibit of John's artwork called All You Need Is Love. It's a series. What did they think of that? What's it about? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a series of fairly predictable questions about love, art, and John. Uh, But Yoko at some point is asked to describe all three Beatles. And this is how she responds. George was an innovative person in the sense that without him, I don't think the Western world would have become so intimate and would have felt close to Indian music and Indian philosophy, which is very powerful stuff. It had been brought in before, but not on that big scale. He really made it understandable for the masses. That was important. What? Okay. Anyway. (laughs) Well, that's nice. It is nice. No, it's, it's a nice, positive thing to say. Yeah. Ringo is a very, very good drummer. Everybody says, oh, Ringo is this and Ringo is that. But people don't recognize that so much. But also, Ringo told people, you can make it. And there is an incredible sense of humor that Ringo has that most people can relate to. And he has a very, very big, warm heart. That's nice. (laughs) Yeah, I I like to see her uh, standing up for Ringo as a drummer. And also being like... People are don't know what they're talking about when they diss him. Uh, and then on to Paul. Yoko says, Now, Paul is a very talented person, but very complex. Because of that, I think he is suffering. As most talented people, he is suffering. <laughs> so that's kind of what Paul said back in the day about Yoko um, um, referring to her grieving for John. Yes, in 1985, he said she is suffering, like yeah. most widows, but maybe more so in her case, which is so funny. I mean, it's just fun, not funny, ha ha, but like it's funny that she says almost the same thing. Well, I also I didn't point it out in the last episode, but I also think it's her saying he is allowed 
is a little is kind of interesting in light of that being one of Paul's main mm. stories about Linda's telling him that, which could be a coincidence, might mean nothing. So what what do we think about the contrast between her comments on George and Ringo versus Paul? Well, it's interesting, first of all, because it's like, here, I'll say something nice about George, just just nice with no conditions. And same with Ringo. And then when she gets to Paul, she goes in a weird direction. Like what? Why? And it's not Why does even she go there at this it, time. It's not even a diss necessarily. No, not like at it, all. It's it's not like well, I'll say something nice, but then I have to put him down. Also, she doesn't really put him down. She just says something weird that he's very talented but very complex, which of course I'm sure is true, mm-hmm. and that he's suffering, which also I'm sure is true. But it's kind of like where did that come from? That wasn't the question. Like what? It was not. It was not <laughs> yeah. the question at all. Maybe she's thinking out loud a little bit and she wanted to say something negative and she this is her way of kind of biting her tongue and being like, no, I'm not gonna, you know, he he's, you know, he's got his issues that he's dealing with. He's in pain, so I won't. Let's be real. It's true for all people. And it's, mm-hmm. of course, true for George and Ringo, too. They're not 100% nice. They've got issues and problems, mm-hmm. too. Um, but obviously, that's true about Paul. It's just interesting to me because the value that John and Yoko put on suffering almost mm. makes this sound like a compliment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. As most talented people, he has suffered like, as if his suffering is proof of his talent. Yeah, he's a tortured artist too. Yes. Like us. Yes. Yeah. That's what I think she's saying. So from her perspective, this is like you say, this is uh, you know, this is a compliment. Mm-hmm. Well, and she called yeah. him complex, which is, you know, again, I think true yeah. on its face, but um it's also kind of the opposite of how Paul's portrayed a lot of the time. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And yeah. it is sort of a double-edged sword. Is kind of a way to say, like, he's a lot deeper and more complicated than you think he is. But mm-hmm. also, you know, you can also take that to mean he's not as nice and as simple as you think he is. Exactly. Bo- both of which are true, I'm sure. Right. Yeah, definitely. You know, George has, has died. Yeah. I wonder, so I wonder, like... She's never going to say anything critical about George Harrison ever again. I mean, oh, a well for, for a sure. fact. For for a fact, I would if you can find me anything negative, she even mildly critical that she says about George Harrison after his death, I'll eat my hat. So my question is like, what? Why is she responding to something specific by saying pointing out that Paul is suffering, or is she just making a general like mm. you know like we said he's a tortured artist, or is or is Paul <laughs> going through something at the moment? Yeah, she's like, listen, that bitch been suffering since I met him in 1960, whatever. Right, right. Well, I'm sure that's true. Yes, I'm sure that's true. Well, definitely. I'm we sure baby boy it. has been suffering since he was we five can, years old. We can, yes, you can. We can see it. Or, or is Paul going through a particularly rough patch um, at the moment? Yeah, George has died. Or, so he's a newlywed so you would that's kind of a weird thing to exactly say newlywed. exactly 
but Although, you know, he, he was a suffering uh, newlywed in 1969, too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's a mess. He's a mess. <laughs> but yeah, to your question, like, is she speaking in <laughs> general terms or is she speaking about something right. specific? We don't know. Exactly. But an interesting comment. Again, one that I don't really take as a direct diss agree yeah it's a little kind of like just in when you put it in contrast with well, the george con- and ringo yes the contrast but, is pronounced yeah but on its you know just in and of itself there's nothing objectionable about it well and also i think her feelings about george and ringo are pretty basic and pretty oh, yeah. simple oh definitely and and her relationship with Paul is com- complicated and has been from that very first tape she made two weeks after she started dating John. She said it then. She was like, I'm getting all the vibes from Paul and George and Ringo mm-hmm. seem like perfectly nice people, but... <laughs> but we can't communicate. Whatever yeah. that means. Yeah, exactly. She's like, yeah. I'm vibing hard with Paul and John and the three of us are vibing hard. Yep. Yeah. Like we're all in the same whatever you get call used it. to it. I'm sure Yoko believes that Paul is part of her spirit circle, and that mm-hmm. she and John and Paul are all going to be stuck together in the next life as well. <laughs> oh man, I'm sure she thinks that. Yep, and we know John thinks it. Mm-hmm. Paul may or may not. I think he does about john yeah for sure right but uh, he may or may not think that about yoko yeah one thing that has stood out to me as we've done this series is how often yoko points out similarities between herself Mm -hmm. and paul yeah or at least similarities between their situations whereas paul tends to highlight their differences you know like when for example when he hits the john wanted something different um she was a beatles outsider which made it hard when John inserted her into our intimate relationships. And it's an interesting contrast because of the two, I definitely think Yoko is much more invested in the idea of that zero-sum competition between mm-hmm. them that we've talked about before. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But maybe that makes them more cosmically linked in her mind. Right, like they're dependent on each other. Like they're the inverse of each other if they're if it's a yeah zero yeah and like the universe needs both of them whereas paul is much more like yeah we're stuck with each other in unfortunately sometimes adversarial roles but that's purely by happenstance that's purely because of john yeah right like there's nothing there's nothing special between us right we don't like each other we didn't choose to be in this situation and we would not hang out if we didn't have to what is odd to me, though, is that this quote sounds like something you would say after you ripped someone a new one. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, he's kind of a dick. Not a big <laughs> fan. Then you'd go into the, but he is talented and he's suffering. He's a complicated person. So, you know, I try to cut him some slack. I'm not saying that's what happened. Or maybe she said it, and then after the fact was like, can you take like, that first part out? Can you cut that out where I said yeah. he was an asshole? Yeah, seriously. I'm just saying that 
and again, in contrast to the unqualified positivity about George and Ringo, I don't know. It's interesting. I find it interesting that that Yoko sees Paul this way, even though we don't think there's anything shady or yeah insulting about this. I can't imagine Paul would be like thrilled about it. He, you know. <laughs> huh. Yeah, I could picture him reading that and just going like, "Rude." What? If he saw it, maybe he didn't see it. You never know. He might have been busy. That's absolutely <laughs> true. Yeah. Yeah. His subscription to the Tampa Bay Times ran out. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> So that was 2002. Next, we have an interview with Yoko from Mojo Magazine from May of 2003. Mojo asks her, The ballad of John and Yoko, with Paul playing drums and bass, seemed like Paul's tribute to you. Was that the case? Yoko answers, Yeah, Paul was trying to be diplomatic about the situation. He meant well. There were other instances where he'd do things that were meant well. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's yeah. nice. Sure. She's also asked, when the Beatles split, did you feel relief? No, I always thought, John won't be doing this thing with the Beatles, and eventually I could do my work too. That was my plan. But suddenly he's saying, I burned my bridge with them, so now it's you, okay? I thought, my God, he was getting the thrill of working with three very strong individuals, and now I have to take all that brunt. He did put it that way. He was riding on the boat called Paul, and now I'm going to ride on a boat called Yoko. God bless her for saying Paul instead of Beatles. Yeah, right? Oh, John. Well, John. He, did, he, he didn't say Beatles. He said Paul. I know. <laughs> But yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Uh, well, first of all, it sounds like, sounds very, very, very much like John. <laughs> yes. Um, he's used the boat metaphor elsewhere. We've discussed it on the show. Mm -hmm. I think the thing that's kind of weird and bothersome about this quote, I, I, just speaking for me, I think probably for other people too, but for just speaking for me, is how passive it sounds writing on the boat called paul and now i'm going to ride on a boat called yoko like he, he john sounds like he's not in control of any well yes it it is concerning well and it i mean it it just goes to show how much he thinks of both of them and relies on their strength and is aware of that is he talking about a life raft or is he talking about like magnificent steamship Yes, exactly. Yeah. Or is it keep me from drowning? And he's used the drowning metaphor too, specifically about, you know, yes, calling to Yoko to save him in uh, I want you, she's so heavy. And he says, when you're drowning, you just scream. And he used it when he talked about getting together with her when the thing with Paul was, was ending. Yep. He said, I was finally high and dry. Yeah so i don't know i mean maybe maybe it's not so much about control as it is about support mm -hmm. like maybe they're his foundation mm -hmm. 
but riding on a boat is so yeah like he's riding their coattails yeah which he is definitely not which he's definitely not but maybe he just means maybe he means personally and emotionally i agree that john is the passive party in this um analogy but i could see someone saying well but if you're on a boat you're in control of the boat like the the boat is literally an inanimate object yeah if you're driving it not if you're riding on it (laughs) like riding is passive (laughs) driving is is uh, i agree i agree yeah no i totally i totally agree that these are sentient boats in john's (laughs) analogy a boat called paul i that the more i think about it the more that sort of is boggling to me that he Mm -hmm. gave paul that much power in his life and the way that that has been erased now it's just paul was so important to john Mm mm-hmm and who's the one person who's fucking clear-eyed about that and knows? <laughs> Am I wrong? Uh, you are not wrong. But yeah. I give Yoko props for this quote. It's pretty open. Yeah, I do too. And it's it's not self-aggrandizing at all. Not at all. Well, although then she tells on herself a little bit because I, I guess I think she's saying no i wasn't relieved ultimately because when he did split it turned out that a a non-beetle john would be taking up just as much if not more space in my life as (laughs) beetle john because she says i always thought john won't be doing beetles and eventually i can do my work too so that sounds like maybe she thought she was going to be relieved when the beetles were over but that was her plan she wanted yoko time yes yeah she's like where is yoko time which is and not that she wasn't me you know not that she didn't make albums when they were together obviously she did totally well and not as if she couldn't have not gone to the studio with john every single day and could have instead pursued her own career well that's the other thing too But if John insisted on it, you know, like, as we discussed before, maybe she was just like, well, this is the price of doing business. He insists that I'm here. So, Oh, totally. Yeah. Although there's also like, you know, obviously, I don't think she enjoyed it, but she might have been like, I need to have eyes on what's going on. Well, that too. She definitely did, because he he even said that when they went home, Yoko would tell me what what was going on, you know. (sighs) what everybody was doing when my back was turned and and paul is like all of paul's shit he does to yoko's face yeah yeah his his um his passive aggression comes out in her presence yeah he tries to stuff it down oh yeah because he because she irritates him (laughs) oh the bags oh my god those bags he hates them so much so much like to an uncomfortable level yeah and you know what i i don't blame him i think that probably is the stupidest thing john and yoko ever did it's pretty dumb but he's like a dog with a bone he's he's fixated for some reason yeah yeah Yeah. 
funny. Well, when you when your partner, you know, is not helping you as much as he should with your work, he's instead putting his energy into something so mm. asinine. That's a good. I can see point. how that would be like. Okay, you don't want to write. You don't want to write Lennon McCartney Beatles songs with me. You want to go make an ass of yourself on television. <laughs> yeah yeah if anyone hasn't seen john and yoko being interviewed in their bag you you really do have to see it to to appreciate how stupid it is because conceptually it's like yeah all right i mean you know but then you see it and hear it and it's like oh this is embarrassing anyway (laughs) paul in the bags it's a whole thing In 2003, the Lennon-McCartney credit reversal issue comes up. We discussed that in episode three. Uh, To recap, Paul went ahead and switched the order of names on certain Lennon-McCartney songs for his live album back in the U.S., which is his legal right to do, as allowed by his recording contract. And Yoko got very angry and threatened to sue, but didn't, because she can't because right. he didn't do anything illegal <laughs> well that that's her mo she she always threatens to sue and for most and for most people they don't they don't push it because she has more money and more lawyers than they do but that's not the case with paul right so he's like all right do something about it go ahead yeah <laughs> i love lawsuits that i can easily win come on <laughs> go for it <laughs> And I'm sure she knew that she couldn't win and she wasn't going to file. Definitely. But she took it to the court of public opinion because it makes Paul look stupid. The world watched in horror. Two hijacked planes destroyed our trade center. You better believe it. You better deal with it. It's time to give you a chance. And then in 2005, Yoko (laughs) attends the Q Awards in London to accept a posthumous award on John's behalf and gives one of the absolute most unfathomable speeches (laughs) in history. I don't know what the hell she was thinking. What is going through her mind? Why would she do this? So we don't have text of her full acceptance speech because no one cared. The only thing that got quoted over and over again in the papers <laughs> was the part that she said about Paul. Oh my God. Okay. In her speech, she decided to say this. <laughs> I'll tell you a story about John. He often used to wake up in the middle of the night and ask me, why do people cover Paul's songs so much, but never mine? I used to tell him, it's because you are a talented songwriter. You don't just rhyme June with spoon. And you are a very good singer. Lots of people would be too afraid to cover one of your songs. Then I would make him a cup of tea and he would be okay. I just miss that sort of moment that we had. (laughs) So the difference between John and Paul here is Mm -hmm. because John is a talented songwriter. Yes. And a very good singer. Yes. 
unlike Paul McCartney. The only reason Paul's songs are covered so much is because the words are dumb. And people love to sing dumb things. Because people are dumb. And also, he doesn't sing very well. So <laughs> it's fun to sing bad songs that bad singers write. I mean, obviously. <laughs> okay. If she had left Paul out of it, Mm. if she if if this if this story had just involved john waking up going why don't people cover my songs more and she said babe don't worry about it you're amazing you're a fantastic songwriter you're a great singer then it would be like oh you know celebrities are real people too totally even the greatest songwriter that ever walked the earth had his insecurities mm-hmm and nobody would bat an eye. No one would bat an eye. <laughs> yeah, or or if Yoko had, you know, if, if she had really wanted to break down the Paul John distinction there, you know, there is a way to do that without insulting Paul. She could have said, well, it's probably because your songs tend to be really, really personal and Paul's are more universal. Yeah, you just have a different style. Yeah. Paul's style is better suited for a more variety of people. Yeah. And he writes in a lot of different genres, too. Well, that's true, too. That's the same thing, too. And he has a wider range. I mean, there's countless reasons, honestly. Yeah. But none of them have to do with John writing better lyrics. I mean, that's just pathetic. It it is sad. Yeah. People love to cover songs with excellent lyrics. I mean, again, if you wanted to say, like, guys, even John was insecure. Isn't that sad? He was so great. Fine. Sure. But your response to him is so bullshit that it would, like, if you said that to me, I would feel worse. I would be like, get the fuck out of here. They don't... Yeah, you do. you're patronizing me. <laughs> exactly. There's not... There's no way to make this quote, okay? This story is about his competition with Paul. He's waking mm-hmm. up in the middle of the night, not saying, why didn't I sell more records than I did? He's saying, why didn't I outperform Paul? Why yeah. am I not covered more than Paul? This is a diss. It's a horrible diss. I mean, we know how words work. If the question is, why do they prefer Paul's songs? And the answer is, because you're talented. Mm, yeah. That means that he's not as talented. That's what you're saying. Yes, definitely. That is the the linear fucking, the logic behind what you're saying. Yeah. There's no two ways about that. You can't bullshit your way out of what you just said. And then she makes it, she digs even deeper and she says, you don't just rhyme June with spoon. Who is that a dig on of? Like, you're still talking about Paul. You're saying Paul makes shitty, stupid rhymes. I think what she's trying to say, very inartfully, by the way, for somebody who is like dunking on Paul's word skills, (laughs) I think what she's trying to say is that, oh, your songs are sophisticated. They're too complex and sophisticated, which is just dumb. It just doesn't make any sense. It's it's, all of this is bad. (laughs) All bad. No good. It's all bad. It's also a weird thing to volunteer is like, here are the moments with 
my husband that I miss. Him waking up at night, consumed <laughs> yeah. with insecurity and jealousy. So Paul clapped back. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> so bitchy. This is in the mirror. So you know they got him while he was mm. like leaving a restaurant or something. Mm. This would not have been a sit down. <laughs> no. Well, first of all, it's only like three lines. And it sounds like, <laughs> like it's said as he's getting in a car or something. Yeah. So they write, Maka, furious after Yoko ridiculed his songs last week, accused her of constantly attacking him and said, quote, I don't take any notice of her. Like right now, this is me not <laughs> noticing her. <laughs> Watch me not take any notice. <laughs> I'm above that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I am too classy to get bogged down in her shenanigans. <clears throat> oh, Sir Paul, 63, went on. <laughs> she's John's wife, so I have to respect her for that. But I don't think she's the brightest of buttons. She said some particularly daft things in her time. Her life is dedicated to putting me down, but I attempt very strongly not to put her down. <laughs> Except for right now. And you can quote me on that. <laughs> yeah, right? Her life is dedicated to putting me down. Okay. First of all, he she's John's wife, so I have to respect her for that. No, Which you is don't. Dis. No, what that's... does that mean? The most respectable thing I can say about her is that she married John. Yeah, that's that's a dick thing to say. It is. <laughs> but I don't think she's the brightest of buttons. That is so <laughs> amazingly bitchy and it just is condescending. So her life is dedicated to putting me down. I love that. He's like, wow. she's obsessed with me. God, I, I take up so much room in her head. In fairness, try though. <laughs> oh she started it that's for sure yeah and also how do you even respond to that i i mean i think that's the right energy actually is to be like what did that dumb bitch say stupid well and also and i say this as you know a yoko fan but like have you read her fucking lyrics well exactly yeah she's not above fucking rhyming june with spoon well, neither was John. And, by the way, uh, Yoko hasn't seemed to have any problems cashing all the checks Paul's Moon and Spoon songs have earned her. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Yoko, you can accept millions of dollars for decades from Paul's work, or you can slag it off in public. Mm. Not both. Yeah, she's a bitch. I mean, that's such, that's such a fucking bitch thing to say. It is. It's, yeah. And I, I have to think that when when she says these things, and, and when Paul says these things, you know, says um, bitchy things about her, that that kind of does reflect their real opinions. And we have evidence from Joe Hagen um, that Paul still, you know, his his comment about, well, she's not that shrewd. Anyway, Yoko did walk it back <laughs> nearly immediate, almost immediately. Yeah. <laughs> she realized she had gone too far. <laughs> As reported in the Independent, 
Three days after declaring the limit of Sir Paul McCartney's musical talent to be his ability to rhyme the word spoon with June, John Lennon's widow blamed others for her indiscretion yesterday and claimed her husband's one-time soulmate was not so bad after all. I was saying about how humble John was and how human John was, and that was all I was saying, Odo declared as she unveiled a sculpture at Coventry Cathedral. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. She unveiled a sculpture at Coventry Cathedral, which she and Lennon had started to construct in 1968. Despite the clarity of... <laughs> yeah, I know. This, this writer is so shady. It's so true. <laughs> I love it. Despite the clarity of her original statement at the Q Awards, <laughs> Ono claimed to have been misquoted. It's amusing at best, and it's the kind of thing that I've witnessed the press to do many times, she said. I think Paul's a great songwriter. Ono's words have gone down like a lead balloon in Liverpool, where many still blame her for permanently removing Lennon from the city. Well, that's dumb. Her mixed feelings for McCartney were also apparent in an interview with the Liverpool Echo this week, in which she said, Paul was the one who knew how to deal with the world, and John was the poet. But when John was doing his individual work, I know he felt that people were not so much into his songs. Okay. Ooh, you just dug yourself deeper. Yeah. Well, it, it it could be that this quote was before the Q Awards. And the writer has kind of dug that up to kind of like throw in her face. Like, no, I think we know what you <laughs> think. <laughs> I think it's pretty clear. <laughs> nice try. Yeah. Okay. So what's funny to me is that like three days later, she unveiled a sculpture and... It was on the heels of this of this uh, controversy. I wonder if she was just like, how am I going to get publicity for mm. this? That is always a good question to ask, I think. She knows that's going to get in the paper, and then she knows people are going to come and hunt her down for a quote at the sculpture unveiling. At least that will get people to show up. Yeah. Maybe these two things are unrelated. Like, honestly, maybe it was just maybe she just wanted to stab paul in the gut when he yeah, was getting maybe. his award and that was sort of unrelated to this sculpture thing but yeah i mean she is not above a publicity stunt oh <laughs> her life is built on publicity stunts that's what i'm saying like yeah. she she's madam publicity stunt so yeah. definitely and she's and she's not afraid to you know ruffle feathers in the in the process she's not and she so. knows that like the papers love a bitch fest yes her and Paul, yeah so. yeah what is her cost benefit analysis for that well though? that's that's what i'm thinking it's hard to imagine she thought this would go over well there's no way she thought that would go over well maybe she's like what's paul gonna do so he's gonna get mad at me big deal he already fucking hates me, so who cares? Well, sure. Anyway, we don't hear much from them for a while after this. Maybe they tried to cool it after they had this flare-up. Maybe they ironed things out, or who knows? Yeah, maybe. Or had a fight, and just, just retreated to their separate corners. Yeah, in the, you know, 
it's in their it's in both of their best interests to not fight in public you know what's interesting is that um during paul's divorce yoko said something really nice like you know i'm, I'm sorry that paul's going through that and all i know is that he was really in love at the beginning there was a quote from ringo at the time where ringo's like i hope paul knows that i'm always here for him if he well, needs yeah. me he can you know he can call me anytime that's right yeah Aww. and i mean it's uh, it was striking that yoko was also kind of like paul you can come to me too if you need help yeah yoko has a child with somebody that she divorced that didn't work out that she you know that oh, they had sure. a real bad relationship for many years so maybe she just had human empathy yeah. for him yeah and was like oh it's it's awful to be in a bad relationship i get it yeah yeah totally like who cares about money you know oh definitely you know you got your daughter it's nothing else matters yeah and and your paintings back <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, i don't know i think maybe they they're on peaceful terms at this point at the very least neutral terms yeah totally In 2008, Philip Norman published his biography on John, conducted in close cooperation with Yoko, and this biography included several pretty explosive passages, <laughs> and we're, we, we've got two <laughs> on the docket, Paul-related. <laughs> we're going to unpack them. By the way, we did invite Mr. Norman on the show. <laughs> But the budget wouldn't stretch. Right. We couldn't afford him. Yoko says, John wanted me to be part of the group. He created the group, so he thought the others should accept that. I didn't particularly want to be part of them. But by that time, he had got all the avant-garde friends of mine out of my life, so I had nobody else to play music with. I couldn't see how I would fit in, but John was certain I would. He kept saying, They're very sensitive guys. You think they're just Liverpool gits, but no, they're very sensitive. Paul isn't a Stockhausen. They can do your thing. He thought the other Beatles would go for it. He was trying to persuade me. Why did no, why did no one, like, what? Yeah. It's weird that this wasn't a headline after the exactly. book came out. Because you'd think it would be. It's like, you know, Yoko Ono says John Lennon tried to make her a Beatle. Yes. I mean, Jesus Christ, people are always so hungry for like an explanation about the breakup and about Yoko's role in the breakup and whatever. And then yeah. like she hands you this and nobody does anything with it. Nobody runs with it. I know. It's funny. So there's a few things to unpack here. <laughs> you want to just go one by one? Yeah. Okay. He created the group, so he thought the others should accept that. Yeah, except he never said it out loud, so he can't have been that confident in his ability to command his troops well and he didn't create the group <laughs> unless the group you're talking oh, about is the quarrymen yeah i mean first off yeah i know it sounds like i'm splitting hairs but i'm not 
it's important. It is important. Well, it, it not only depositions Paul, who was totally in on the ground floor with John co-creating the group, George and Ringo, like, mm -hmm. yeah, little skiffle beetle John and Paul did not build the Beatles into the yes. world class. Like that took the yes. talent, the star power of, <laughs> no pun intended, of George and Ringo as well. <laughs> it's true. It's insulting to all three of them. Yes. It wasn't like, it wasn't just about the music. It was about them as a package and as a phenomenon. And also, I didn't particularly want to be part of them. Yeah. Well, then why didn't you say no? I don't know. Mm. Why is that not a talking point? Why Why are we not discussing that? So, so did John force you into an awkward situation with the Beatles? Yes or no? Yeah. If the other Beatles had said, yay, Yoko, come be a Beatle, is she really going to say no? I don't, I don't think so. I think that she would have, even if she was like, man, these guys are in a mess. Uh, this is going to be a lot of stress for me. Like the money and prestige would have been 100% worth it to her. Well, the way that she puts it is, you know, she says, I didn't particularly want to join the band, but I didn't have anybody else to play music with because John had run all my friends off. Right. Um, I thought she was just doing her conceptual art was she, she a musician before she wasn't and that's another thing i get real tired of it's like i know she had piano lessons when she was little and i know that like her parents wanted her to be a musician but that doesn't yeah. make her a musician she doesn't play any instruments maybe she plays the piano at home but again we've never seen her ever <laughs> play any music anywhere she sings she's a vocalist and a writer and yeah. that's fine who cares lots of people are songwriters who sing and don't play instruments it's not whatever was she involved with music at all before getting with well, john she, like it she was in she was uh oh flux. involved with, with fluxes but she wasn't playing the violin so yeah. that's a it's another semi-annoying thing because it makes it sound like yoko just showed up with her sax and was like hey man can we jam <laughs> John tried to phrase it that way in Lennon Remembers, too. He's like, she just wanted to come in and jam, and they were such dicks. It's like, John. Okay. Shut up. Okay. If she had hopped on the piano and been like, hey, I can, you know, I can pound the keys a little bit while you all do your thing. They might have been more amenable to that. But it's well, like, no, I want to be center stage, me and a like microphone, and you guys as my backup exactly it's like busting onto wow. somebody's film set and going like hey i can do voiceover work and i'm going like okay well this doesn't have a voiceover so <laughs> he thought the other beatles would go for it no he didn't manifestly he did not because he never said anything about it well if uh, yeah exactly from the way some people paint it everyone is so slavishly obedient to him that he could right. just bring her in and be like she's part of the band now and they would go okay john and there would be no discussion required well and if if you were pushed to explain it you didn't say anything about her joining the band you said that you couldn't that she was your life now and you couldn't bear to be separated from her which is totally different from I think she would be a good addition to the Beatles. 
right that's two totally different things he just brought her around and said this is my girlfriend and hoped they would say hey yoko join the band i guess or was he saying this as a lure to get her to go because he wanted her there for other reasons <laughs> maybe the explanation he gave to the world wouldn't have worked for yoko Maybe if he'd said, I just love you so much and I'm just a delicate broken bird and I need you with me at all times. Like maybe she would have been mm, not good enough of a reason. But it but if he baits the hook and is like, Come oh, with you'll me get and, I'll, a, and I'll make you a Beatle. You'll get on a Beatles record. Yeah. Well, he put her on a Beatles record. I mean, he put yeah. her on the next Beatles record. So it's true. I don't know. I mean, I think that there is an alternate universe where <laughs> this works and it's okay. Mm -hmm. Separating out his desire to sort of collaborate with her and spice up the Beatles or whatever, do something mm -hmm. different. Separating that from her being intrusive in the studio, present 24-7 and just sitting next to him. Well, and, and being rude to people. And interrupting and giving her opinion when nobody wants it. I mean, if I was John's girlfriend and he took me into the studio and then the, like one of his bandmates was like, excuse you, why are you weighing in on our work right now? Yeah. I would be so mortified. And I would never interject again. I'm going to stay home from that point on. Well, Yoko is hard to embarrass. Is she there for emotional support? Is she there just so John has backup against Paul when he's trying to like compete or argue with him? Like, is that what Stu's purpose also? Like, Stu's not in the Beatles to enhance the band. Mm. He doesn't mm -hmm. enhance the band in any way, I guess, except for visually. Like, sure, image, wise. image wise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I'm assuming that's why he's there, but either for emotional support or companionship for John or as backup, as somebody who doesn't like Paul. So he's, he's just extra he's a ammo. Right. Exactly, exactly. Why does John need so much backup to counterbalance Paul? Like, if that's the case, which it clearly is, I mean, I'm, I'm no physicist. But doesn't that mean <laughs> that Paul significantly outweighs John if John requires backup? You know, that's how that's how John perceives it. Mm -hmm. So many people have compared bringing Stu into the band to bringing Yoko into the band. And it's mm -hmm. always like, yeah, to give him more power in the band. I'm sorry, but like, explain this more to than me. One. Exactly. Like, explain <laughs> it to me like I'm stupid because that means to me that Paul has way too much power in the band. Like, from John's point of view, power in this band is lopsided. The the power it's, is it's lopsided. Yes. And he need, yeah. he need to, in order to gain more power than Paul, he has to bring in a whole ass other person. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's absurd. People even frame it as a power move. It's a power move of John to require additional support. <laughs> In what fucking way? Yeah. How does that make John more powerful than Paul? Like, <laughs> I, I know. I know. It's not enough that he has George on his side. 
Mm. Jesus Christ, <laughs> how many men does it take to take down Paul McCartney? <laughs> More than have ever gotten together and tried. If that's the case, let's say this isn't to make Paul jealous and to upset him and to make him confront his feelings of possessiveness towards John and all that sort of stuff. And like right, fight right. fight for him, right? Assuming it's not for that and it's for some other complex, circuitous way to get Yoko in the band without asking Paul's permission. Mm -hmm. If John is like sort of meekly bringing her to Paul and waiting for Paul to invite her in the band, doesn't that make Paul the leader? Well, in John's eyes, yeah, kind of. And if that's the case... We need to start seriously looking into why John feels Paul has such a disproportionate amount of power. Yeah. In a way, it explains a lot. John wanting to make Yoko a Beatle is sort of a more straightforward reason. Yeah. Why he would just bring her along, except that he never says it out loud. So that kind of makes you think, well, maybe it's, maybe it's the other, you know, maybe it's the other fig leaf that they offered, the, the, that he just needed her emotionally. But, okay, so here, here's the bottom line. He is passive aggressive as hell about it. No yes. matter what his, yes. what his purpose is. Yes. He is not being the big dog telling everyone what to do. Yes. And they're not saying how high right john how high do you want us to jump i hope that peter jackson's get back will help that get through to people because john is not busting balls and taking do names like, do that yeah well not at all well that's not his style that's not his leadership style his, his leadership style is to is manipulate yes i know <laughs> <laughs> yes that's what i'm saying like it could be all yeah. of these things at, at once like we're like well his his uh motives aren't transparent well maybe they're not transparent to himself even you know what i mean like maybe it is well, all true. of these things at once like maybe he does simultaneously think that yoko's influence would be good for the beatles that's fine to me i don't even push back on that i think she actually could i was and gonna say i could see that being cool for sure she could be yeah. a very a very good artistic influence on the beatles yes could also be that she's there to make him feel more secure because he's feeling fragile could mm -hmm. also be that he's there because he can't face paul one-on-one -on -one and he feels like he needs backup could also be that she's there to make paul jealous all those things can be true at once yeah yeah at the very least it's more than enough explanation for why paul would be confused and annoyed and annoyed and at his fucking wit's end like i don't know what you want from me so here here we here we are again. Here we are. Yeah, exactly. Here we are. Yet again. This is the other explosive little tidbit from Philip Norman's book. Um, now, we've already discussed this topic and this passage before, so we're going to try to not repeat ourselves and go over old ground here. We're going to look at this from a new angle. 
The following passage has been quoted a lot, but here it is in full for context. Also included on the album Ram was a track called Too Many People, clearly alluding to John's rejection of the Beatles for Yoko. That was your first mistake, ran the refrain. You took your lucky break and broke it in two. As mild and oblique as the comment was, it seemed to cut John to the heart. On top of the questionnaire inside the McCartney album and the lawsuit, it was like the tipping point between a divorcing couple that turns love into savage, no-holds-barred hostility. Indeed, John's wounded anger was more that of an ex-spouse than ex-colleague, reinforcing a suspicion already in Yoko's mind that his feelings for Paul had been far more intense than the world at large ever guessed. From chance remarks he had made, she gathered there had even been a moment when, on the principle that bohemians should try everything, John had contemplated an affair with Paul, but had been deterred by Paul's immovable heterosexuality. Nor, apparently, was Yoko the only one to have picked up on this. Around Apple, in her hearing, Paul would sometimes be called John's princess. She had also once heard a rehearsal tape with John's voice calling out, Paul, Paul, in a strangely subservient, pleading way. I knew there was something going on there, she remembers, from his point of view, not from Paul's. And he was so angry at Paul, I couldn't help wondering what it was really about. All right, so regular listeners to ACOM will know that this is an issue we've addressed several times on our show. We believe it's important and that it needs to be factored into both the Lennon-McCartney story and the Beatles story. Um, we do believe also that in due time, whether that's 10 years or five years or two years or, or tomorrow or tom tomorrow, <laughs> this episode goes live and the world changes <laughs> overnight. Like eventually this won't be such a taboo subject. It's already less so now than yeah. when we started this podcast. We also understand that this passage raises a lot of questions and doesn't answer all of them or most of them <laughs> for sure but it is definitely enough information to give us a framework for what's going on okay so just to recap yoko's testimony again this is just what we're getting from yoko we now have three separate sources that are on the record stating that after john died yoko told them she thought john was gay philip norman jan wenner and paul mccartney and she gave all the following supportive info on the record she said that in 1973 when she and john split john suggested getting a boyfriend to keep him company rather than a girlfriend that was also in norman's 2008 book she said john was open and clear-headed about being attracted to men and that he thought everyone was innately bisexual. That was said to the Daily Beast in 2015. She also said that even though John was interested in sex with men, he told her, and she believed, that he never actually had sex, you know, air quotes, with a man, <laughs> um, notwithstanding whatever might have happened with Brian in Barcelona, which might be a matter of semantics, and she said that John wanted an affair with Paul, but didn't pursue it because he knew Paul wouldn't go for it. And she said other people in Apple knew about or noticed this 
and commented on it in her presence. She heard a tape of John moaning Paul's name. She saw her husband crying about Paul to his record player. She said this dynamic was the driving undercurrent of how do you sleep and John's anger at Paul during the breakup period, if not for the rest of time. Yeah, so this this is Yoko's point of view. And as we showed with our bullet points, this has been her point of view for a very long time, since the beginning of their relationship, in fact. It's not like a one-off comment that Norman blew out of proportion or took out of context or whatever. She's been saying this. Exactly. I'm stupid, but like this just literally just occurred to me to like put these two thoughts together. Yoko sang into a tape recorder. <laughs> oh, so naively, sweet summer child. I'm sure if Paul had been a woman or something, he would have been a great threat. So she says that. And then at some point, shortly thereafter, she starts thinking that John's gay. That means that Paul becomes a threat at that moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because she's like, wow, I'm feeling incredibly threatened by him. But the only thing that's making me feel okay about it is the fact that I sure know that my boyfriend only likes women. Thank God Paul's not a woman. Mm-hmm. And it's like, plot twist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Record scratch. And again, this wasn't a passing thought of hers. She continued to think it and say it for forever. This is what she thinks. Even if she's wrong and she's just misunderstood John all these years, the point is that she feels Paul McCarty is a threat. And all her interactions with him are going to reflect that. That's going to inform her behavior from 1968 forward. Yes. Kyoko is a primary source. Maybe the primary source. If we're going to talk about a primary source about John. Like she is his longest term spouse. And she was and is deeply involved in John and Paul's breakup. So she obviously has to be treated as an expert witness. I, I, she's like the, the definition of an expert opinion. Yeah. And we assume that she is faithfully representing John's feelings to the best of her knowledge. Yes. She had been hinting at it for many years, but finally with this book, she came out and said it. She had enough. She was like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely. She's kind of having a come to Jesus moment with the public like please listen to me right? <laughs> <laughs> these these people have been driving me crazy you want to know why i'm crazy i'll tell you why i'm crazy so why why do you think yoko said it now if she's threatened by paul or by john and paul's relationship why would she volunteer to be the one to finally spill the beans and hand Paul that much power? Well, it could be that she's no longer, it could be that she just no longer feels a threat. Yeah. I mean, that has to be it. She wouldn't yeah. say this if, if she felt threatened by it. Well, she doesn't need to feel threatened by it because the John and Yoko love story is set in stone at this point i mean it is in stone they made fucking press releases saying we're madly in love 
they were militant about it yeah now imagine being yoko and within the first few months of dating john after he's made a massive spectacle of being your boyfriend thinking like this motherfucker's gay like what can you imagine being yoko no and then and then then 10 years of marriage didn't change that opinion wow yeah right and then she's like what you better be out there every time you're in front of a fucking microphone you better talk about how awesome i am but even if so even if she is the driving force behind that extreme marketing of the relationship i can kind of see how eventually she might start to resent living with that image even if it's of her own creation or i can see her starting to resent the public for believing it (laughs) kind of turning on your audience (laughs) yeah i mean that's you know it's not fair but on a human level i can i can see it happening for god's sake i don't want to sound biphobic or anything you know i'm not saying they didn't have a real romance and a real marriage and a real sex life and all that sort of stuff they definitely correct. did correct yeah. but if she feels like she's constantly competing with this other side of him that he wasn't necessarily up front with at the beginning do you know what mm-hmm. i mean like i don't think that they started dating and then um, three months in he's like okay the jig is up i'm gay and she's like mm-hmm. oh okay oh. well let's keep the ruse going I think she was like hmm, suspicious and he probably was like well you know gave her a little bit of information or or whatever and as time went on and they got to know each other better revealed more and more to her to the point that you know as she said publicly eventually he was like yeah I'm attracted to men mm-hmm. it wasn't like she caught him in the act or something right Although it kind of it it kind of sounds like she caught him emotionally in the act mm-hmm. a little bit with the Paul thing, you know. Yeah, probably got to the point where she's like, "Okay, come on, right, right." You you also have to think like, okay, so this is two thousand eight. She's seventy five years old. <laughs> yeah, the fil- the filter might be going. The filter might be going, but she also might be getting to a point in her life where she's consciously making the choice to be like. I'm not keeping your secrets anymore. Yes. Yeah. Well, except she, um, you know, why this secret? I mean, I think if anything, she's just like, Paul, I don't know if you're going to be pissed or whatever, but that's for you to deal with. This isn't mine anymore. I'm, you know, you can deal with it however you want to deal with it or not deal with it. You know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I didn't say anything even remotely incriminating about you exactly like you can deny it if you feel like it i don't i didn't implicate you in anything so yeah or you can like you probably will you can just pretend that it you know just ignore it and like keep doing what you've been doing (laughs) exactly yes people will take it however they're gonna take it they'll they'll either make something of it or they won't but it's not gonna be on it's not gonna be on my hands anymore Mm -hmm. this truth to me makes everybody in the story more sympathetic Mm. it makes paul more sympathetic it makes yoko way more sympathetic it even makes 
John's behavior more sympathetic because he's dealing with things he he's hiding from from the world. Yeah, because that changes this from a story about money and egos to a story about love. Well, and again, it changes the Paul and Yoko story mm. from something if, petty into sure. like a real human drama about people who love each other. It's not about move out of the way so true love can happen. True love was already there. True love is falling apart. Yeah. Everyone's fighting for their own love story. If there's someone whose behavior you have been critical of, you know, be it John, Yoko, or Paul in this instance, but then you find out something that changes the story completely, I think most people would go, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe I've misjudged that person because I didn't know that there was this mm -hmm. big undercurrent going on. Who knows what they were actually reacting to? You know, even, even if the person doesn't, <laughs> even if the person isn't a crazy person with a <laughs> corkboard with red strings <laughs> making podcasts <laughs> like even if, even if they're just casually you know and they don't care about finding out what exactly were they really responding to just just the fact of like oh well you know what you never know what people are going through exactly exactly You're... even that makes <laughs> yes. everyone more sympathetic yeah. yeah right like your level of interest in the detail is going to be different for every person according to your obsessiveness <laughs> you know like how insane over the beatles are you how many details do you really need some people just like a scandal some people just like gossip you know oh, some totally. people are beetle obsessives <laughs> i don't know who those people would be it, it still doesn't hurt the john and yoko story no they could both be gay i mean it doesn't even matter they're still one of like the craziest wildest most iconic couples yes. of all time exactly i could see someone thinking that if anything this will only enhance their legend yeah that book was 15 years ago and really nobody has done anything with that information it's barely nudged the needle yeah no, I mean, you know, if it was some rando, if it was like Norman Smith, the engineer who said all this shit, you'd kind of be like, okay, Norman, calm down. Like, I don't, I mean, that's just Norman's theory. Sure. For whatever that's worth. But like, this is Yoko. <laughs> There's no conceivable justification for not taking her viewpoint seriously. Oddly, there was absolutely no pushback on this at all. No. There were a couple little blurbs in the paper and stuff. Like, you could still find them. It's like when the book came out, this was one of the things that was pulled as interesting from the book, but nobody really pursued it. They just were kind of like, what do you think of that? But nobody wants to go <laughs> after this story, you know? <laughs> right. Right. They were like, maybe if we just run the story, Paul McCartney will comment on it. And he did not. He <laughs> so, did not. He surely did not. Nope. Philip who? I don't yeah. know anything about that. <laughs> Next. 
<laughs> Nobody has the balls to ask Paul about it. The only person who came close was Howard Stern. <laughs> who really who really mangled that quote into something unrecognizable. So we can't even really point to Paul's reaction as being a reaction to what Yoko said because yes. Howard did not relay what Yoko said. <laughs> Howard was basically like... He wrote so a little fan fiction. And it said that John was so incredibly digmatized by you... <laughs> Your sexual power was so incredible that he was a slave to you. Is that true, Paul? That's exactly. And Paul said, wow. <laughs> and then he said, well, I like that theory. And then he went into, you know, PR mode and was like, look, anyone can say any sort of theory they want. The end. And that was it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, good times. Good old Howard. I've got too much on my plate. Don't have no time to be a decent lover. I hope it isn't too late. Searching for the time that has gone so fast. Things seem to go pretty smoothly with Yoko and Paul for a while after this. Like, if, yeah. Things were fine. In fact, in 2009, Yoko joined the Meat Free Monday campaign with the McCartneys. So there's a cute video of Stella, Yoko, and James. Stella is talking about Meat Free Monday. Isn't it great? Shoves the camera, like, must have been like two inches from Yoko's face. <laughs> Yoko's like literally chewing. <laughs> so she smiles and gives a quote and is a good sport and it's very cute. Yoko, what are your thoughts on Meat Free Monday? Oh, it's a beautiful, beautiful feeling. This is going to change the world and I'm so happy. This era, like the late aughts, I feel represents like a bit of a renaissance for, for Yoko. Mm-hmm. In 2007, Yes, I'm a Witch and Open Your Box remix albums come out. In 2009, she gets a Lifetime Award from Mojo Magazine. And in 2010, she performs with Lady Gaga. Oh, wow. Yeah, I forgot about that. There's a match made in heaven. Right? (laughs) Yeah, so this is a really good era for Yoko. Um, She's getting a lot of appreciation from other artists and... It's kind of uh, one of those Yoko is cool again periods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Paul's doing pretty, his reputation's doing pretty well at this time too. And I always feel like when that happens, that is when they get along the best. For sure. And understandably so. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I think that's what they both want. I mean, it sounds kind of obvious to the point of stupidity right to say it but Mm -hmm. i mean i think that's what all artists want you know like they they both want to be loved and recognized and when that happens they're both more generous and nicer yeah (laughs) so in 2010 yoko is interviewed for a bbc radio 2 special called yoko in her own words And she is very upbeat, very generous, and very positive 
about everything, um, including Paul. She's asked about their alleged feud, and this is what she says. People have this idea that that you are, and Paul are constantly arguing or at war with each <laughs> other in some way. Well, you know, there's that side of the things in the sense that, of course, John and Paul, um, they were always good for each other, but, you know, they're two very strong people, and they had opinions of themselves, you know, each one of them. So there was some dialogue or argument or whatever sometimes, I'm sure, you know. I mean, like most brothers do. When uh, I started to do things for John because he passed away, I always had to do it not for myself, but how it may, uh, if John would have wanted. So that's the problem in a way. But now I think we're in a, we're in a very good uh, way, actually. In, in other words, we grew up, both of us, a, a little bit more matured. And so, you know, we just know, no, let's get on with it, you know. And were John and Paul reconciled before John passed away? Paul and Linda visited us and all that, you know. So there was no kind of, we weren't saying, well, let's reconcile, because, I mean, there was no feeling that we were arguing so much. So they came, just visited us and it was nice. They came to the Dakota building. Yes. So that must have been uh, a, a nice um, reunion for for John and Paul. Yes, definitely. She tells the story of the last weekend and Paul's involvement and in carrying John a message from her, and then she's asked about the breakup and gives a very interesting, slightly surprising answer. Paul and Linda visited me earlier that year and, uh, you know, we were talking in the kitchen and the kitchen was getting dark and all that, you know, and Paul was saying, uh, we're going to go to LA to uh, see John, you know. So, what will make you go back to him? So I said, um, well, I don't know, I just feel sort of strange now, maybe if he courted me or something. He said, okay. And he told that to John. And John told me that later. And he just sort of said, well, you, you want to know how you can get back yoga? You know, like one of those. And, uh, John often told me he didn't understand why Paul did that for us. But he did. So Paul really, and Linda Paul brought you back to Yeah. Yes, because everybody imagined that, that Paul disliked you because you know that you know you you were supposed to be the woman who split up split up the Beatles. Well, I'm sure that you know uh, I I don't blame Paul. If uh, he felt very bad badly that uh, you know um, I was the next partner, or whatever, with John in, in uh, doing some work. You know. Do you think Paul was jealous in the, in those days? I don't think so. I really think that you know. It gave him a, certainly he, it gave him a, a, an incredible opportunity to express himself in, in many ways, you know, sort of, um, work-wise. And just recently, I read something about Paul and, and, uh, some of his lyrics and all that. And he said, some incredible stuff he wrote, but people are always concentrating on John's work, you know. And so maybe they didn't recognize it. They, the same thing with my my work too, you know. That of course there's some <laughs> some good songs, I'm sure. But uh, well, of course John is the one. 
everybody feels that John song is something that they can relate to. So this was like a prime opportunity for Yoko to be shady. Yeah. And to feed the like Paul jealous, uh, John detached narrative, which she does not. Yeah. She doesn't take the bait at all. No. It's interesting because, I mean, obviously Paul was jealous. He owned up to being jealous in his own words. He, he was jealous. Mm -hmm. Um, which is, is, you know, just, I can't say it enough. It, it is so striking that Paul, like, owns his feelings, even at the time. Yeah. You know, Yoko goes, no, I really don't think so. And it certainly gave him an incredible opportunity to express himself in many ways. Now, you know, if you want to read that as shady, you can say, like, no, he wasn't jealous. He was just happy to get whatever he could out of it. You know, he used the announcement to sell a record and... He didn't give a fuck. He just went on to sell more records and do his thing. All he cares about is it himself. Oh, know? I don't I don't get that at all. I don't From get that either. I don't get that either. But that is sort of the John and Yoko perspective, you know? Hmm. Yeah. I Nothing think, hurts Paul. Yes. Yeah. And also he didn't really care. He turned around and sued us. So he didn't give a fuck. He just wants whatever's best for him. Mm-hmm. I take it more like she's just I could be shady or I could be cool and I'm just gonna be cool today and yeah. say like mm -hmm. it, it doesn't have to be like that we don't have to do that today yeah. and then she she follows it up with a compliment yeah she she does the like anti-moon in June exactly quote. she's like while I have the opportunity here I was looking through his poetry book the other day and it's got some incredible stuff in there and then the other thing that's super interesting to me is how she says paul's an incredible writer but john kind of overshadowed him and the same with me like i kind of got overshadowed by by john too so she puts herself and paul in the same boat there <laughs> which is really interesting because i mean that's how we opened this series yeah that's true i'm sure she does feel that way and I, you know, I think that she really, I think she's being sincere. I think she has looked at it just being empathetic and realizing, like, I get it. I understand yeah. now why Paul feels that way. Yeah. And I understand that, that the outsized reverence people have for John is mm -hmm. to some degree a bit of a knee jerk reaction and maybe not completely based on hundred you know, percent on merit yeah which isn't to say he's not awesome amazing exactly yeah 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 but the but the automatic centering of him at it's everyone it. literally everyone else's expense yes it's like a thumb on the scale yeah it's it's yeah it's just received wisdom at this point this is for the radio and it's not to say that she doesn't still find paul annoying and you know what i mean of course but, and feels in competition with him yeah yeah but i really do think she sincerely has thought about it and does feel empathy for him and does feel this she just decided to be super nice that day to paul she just was feeling generous i'm sure there are other days when she doesn't feel generous well exactly and and like you say if she's sort of experiencing um a high tide of yes uh, exactly yeah, positive attention and yes you know that that 
could easily make her feel more generous. Absolutely. I think Paul is the same way, actually. I feel yeah, like... less because, defensive. Yes, because the more recognition that, that he gets, he's more generous to Yoko. Yeah. You know, I think the intel that we got from Joe Hagen <laughs> and even Jan Wenner in his yes. book, you know, shows that they are kind of talking behind each other's backs a bit. As a refresher, here's the quote from Jan's autobiography. When I told Yoko about my visit with Paul, she said something to the effect that I had fallen under his spell. She was a hard ass about it and had her reasons, but I didn't want to be a party to it anymore. And apparently this contributed to his and Yoko's having something of a falling out. Yeah, I mean, although even even if she did something to the effect of I had fallen under her spell. She, she could have said that kind of with a laugh. Exactly. She could have said sort of under her breath, oh, you've fallen under a spell. Yeah. And maybe their falling out was unrelated. Well, and she also could be like, oh, you've hated him for 50 years, but you have one fucking drunk brunch with him and all of a sudden... You're ready to go down on him. Whatever, Jan. Mm -hmm. Well, sure. And with, you know, perhaps a soupçon of, oh, so now that he can do more for you than I can. Exactly. <laughs> Which is fair. Yes. She, she might be like, oh, so I guess he's getting the cover now, right? Whatever, you two-faced bitch. But that would still betray something of an odd attitude on her part. Yes, that's true. It's <laughs> something true. Something of it's... a competitive weird unnecessary yeah no no no. she's not saying <laughs> see didn't i tell you paul's amazing <laughs> <laughs> so glad you finally come around to him right and so but if brian epstein had not died and therefore alan klein had not found a space that he could involve mm. himself in mm. god knows what would have happened the beatles might have stayed together and you'd still be in the Beatles today? Or? They might have, um, but I think John in particular was ready to do something else. And when Yoko came along, uh, part of her attraction, I think, was the sort of avant-garde side of things, which she was famous for and still is. Um, so she showed him another way to be that was very attractive to him. And I could see that, you know, she's just sort of said, well, no, look, you know, how about this? Don't you like this? Are you just a rock and roller? And so I think it was time for John, certainly, to leave. You've never really blamed Yoko for the breakup, as a lot no, of people no, no. did, have you? No, I think, you know, at the beginning it was difficult because she was sitting in on sessions. And you'd have to try and get your mind around this. You have to think, well, wait a minute, John's in love with this woman. This is not an ordinary relationship. She's not an ordinary woman. You've got to admit that. And if she wants to sit in on the session, so Yoko was doing it. So I think it created uncomfortable moments, but I, she certainly didn't break the group up. The group was breaking up. And I think she attracted John so much to another way of life that he then went on to do very successfully and had a sort of second part to his career, writing things like Imagine and doing uh, Give Peace a Chance. I don't think he would have done that without Yoko. So you can't blame her. 
that's Paul in a long form interview with David Frost, 2013. So Daphne, you think he's being diplomatic? Well, yeah. I mean, he's, I mean, we just talked about how frustrating the like Yoko introduced John to the avant-garde narrative is and John was ready to go. Yeah. He just, so, but I mean, that's Paul, Paul gonna Paul. (laughs) Yeah. So yes, it was very generous and flattering to her. Uh, he interestingly he says she was famous at the time that they met. Yes, her. yes, I noticed that too, which is something of an overstatement, but you know, yeah. again, a flattering one. Well, well she, she definitely thinks she was famous yeah. before she met the Beatles. He said the main important things, which are the you know what people are going to take away, which is that like she didn't break up the band. John's the one who left. Yeah, exactly. John's the one who left. It's not me, it's you. Um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And everything's fine, and everything worked out for the best. Yeah. Which I can't begrudge Paul wanting to believe that. Well, Paul himself said, I like happy endings. You know? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I like... I like things to work out in the end. The reason why it stood out to me as being really nice is because Paul is more likely, I think, to fall back on the John was just so in love excuse. Uh-huh. Well, whatever. Your mileage may vary. But <laughs> I think the idea that John left him as a creative partner for yoga mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. more hurtful to him than he just fell in love with sure. a, a great woman and wanted to be with her 24 7 yeah that's I mean, a I th- great point yeah i think in paul's mind it is easy to justify like well he found this woman that was good for him that he was in love with and so he you know wanted to be with her instead of me fine that's fair because well, she yeah yeah that's no that's no patch on me she offers things i can't offer him so that's it's apples and oranges that's fine it's the apples to apples comparison is way more hurtful you're right yeah yeah so he doesn't like any any suggestion that her apples were better than his apples (laughs) (laughs) is extremely painful to him i don't think he likes that at all so that's why he that's why he almost always refers to yoko as john's wife and almost Hmm. never uses the word partner i think interesting so i thought this one stood out because he's giving her credit as an artist yeah i mean he's saying that john was looking for a new artistic direction and that yoko provided it yeah that's big and like you say he goes a step further or a few steps further than he has in the past and to a degree i do actually agree with him i think john wanted to do something yeah in addition to still being in the beatles yeah it's like you said in mistake in many ways he wanted a daily howl yeah like it like theoretically there's no reason why he can't be part-time with yoko and still maintain the relationship with paul which all signs pointed to they still had gas in the tank like they could have continued to write songs ad infinitum Mm -hmm. even if it was less and less frequent as time went on Uh yeah yes if john could ever have been 
prized from Yoko's side. I mean, if if John and Paul are historically all or nothing, it's hard to down downshift yes. that into part time. Yeah, but that's a different conversation for another. It time. is. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably the most generous quote from Paul in the series, I think, since the eighties, anyway. He does say something similar to Parkinson in 1997. John was looking for a creative outlet. He wanted to go in a different direction. Yoko provided that for him. And they did a lot of fine work together. But it meant that he had to leave the Beatles to go do it. Which, as, we, <sighs> as we've as we proved, he did not have to leave the Beatles to do it. But no. again, you know, no. it, but, but within, there's an elephant in the room we're not <laughs> addressing. So You're right. Yeah. Yeah, he did not have to, and he did not want to. But you can't have everything. (laughs) (laughs) So things are pretty quiet until 2015. (laughs) At which point... Paul gives a long interview for Esquire where he is predictably asked about Yoko and how they're getting along. This is actually a great interview. One of my all-time favorites of Paul's. He's very loose and candid. And honestly, in the context of the full interview, his comment doesn't even sound angry, but out of context, it sounds really harsh. Esquire says, Your name and John Lennon's will forever be linked. Paul says, hopefully. (laughs) But it's something you chafed against for some time. Did it frustrate you, the constant comparisons between you two? Yeah, I always looked at life from a point of view of the public. I think I've got a good sense of that. The Beatles split up and we were sort of all equal. George did his record, John did his, I did mine, Ringo did his. It was as we were during the Beatles times. We were equal. When John got shot, Aside from the pure horror of it all, the lingering thing was, okay, well, now John's a martyr, a JFK. So what happened was, I started to get frustrated because people started to say, well, he was the Beatles. And me, George, and Ringo would go, er, hang on, it's only a year ago, we were all (laughs) equal-ish. Yeah, John was the witty one, sure. John did a lot of great work, yeah. And post-Beatles, he did more great work. But he also did a lot of not great work. Now, the fact that he's now martyred has elevated him to a James Dean and beyond. So whilst I don't mind that, I agreed with it, I understood that now there was going to be revisionism. It was going to be, John was the one. That was basically the thing. And when I would talk to mates, they'd say, don't worry, people know the truth. It's okay, they know what you did. But then strange things would happen. Like Yoko would appear in the press, and I'd read it, and it said, Paul did nothing. All he did was book the studio. Like, fuck you, darling. Hang on. All I did was book the fucking studio? Well, okay, now people know that's not true. But that was just part of it. There was a lot of revisionism. John did this, John did that. I mean, if you just pull out all his great stuff and then stack it up against my not-so-great stuff, it's an easy case to make. (laughs) (laughs) Well, fuck you, darling. (laughs) darling (laughs) which i think is i mean that that is how he felt at the time that's for sure it also says that he did a comedy yoko accent which paul no don't do that 
<laughs> which Daphne uh, did not attempt to imitate. I don't think he sounds angry now. I think he's acknowledging that he was angry then. Yeah, it's definitely indignation at the time. Yeah. But No, I don't think he's saying that to Yoko now in the present day. Right. But I mean, if if we're going to hold Yoko to the standard of like you can't just hide behind saying, "Oh, I'm being candid. I'm just being honest." You know, when you're talking to the press and you know things are going to be quoted, taken out of context. So he's being a bit reckless here, I think. I don't have sympathy for him. He said yeah. it. So I'm not saying, it. well, Paul didn't really mean that. Paul definitely meant it. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it just sounds a little worse out of context, but. I mean, I can see him. I can see him saying this and then laughing. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. The crazy thing is like, this is 2015. So, you know, we're talking about 35 years ago at this point. Oh my God. Yeah you know how old is paul at this point like 70 and i'm assuming his interviewer at esquire is not 70 right so he he's talking to somebody who he might think doesn't remember 35 years ago either was too young or was just not paying attention 35 years ago so he's like explaining ancient history at this point yeah that's true he's like well let me tell you kid this is what happened when john died things are a little different now in 2015 Mm -hmm. But he's like, let me tell you what I lived through, though. So this is kind of past grievances. I mean, it does, on one hand, it does kind of seem like he's holding on to it. Like, he's not over it, you know? Well, I think think he is and he's not. It, It was traumatic. And, for example, if it's totally fair and understandable for George to carry his resentments about the 60s into the 70s, 80s, 90s, the rest of his life then it's totally fair and understandable for paul to you know still be reeling from what happened to him in the 80s it was a shit show it was a big deal Shortly thereafter, in an interview for the Daily Beast, Yoko was read fuck you, darling, part and asked to comment. (laughs) (laughs) Let me read you an excerpt. (laughs) McCartney said, quote, fuck you, comma, darling, close quote. (laughs) Ono was surprised to read that, particularly as she and McCartney had just been together at a dinner, seated at the same table, talking about good things. Does she feel close to McCartney? Yoko answered, I think it's a very strange situation. We were kind of like stuck with a situation for 30 or 40 years, so we understand each other. Let's put it that way. What he said in Esquire, I think he's really right. I mean, he must have suffered a lot, just like I suffered, more or less the same thing in a way. So I understand. I'm sympathetic to him for having all sorts of pain, Most people think that Paul or me should not have any pain at all because we are so privileged. But it's not true. The degree of pain is always there. Does she feel they need to forgive each other in some way? She says, no, no. We've had to come to terms with the past in some way. Both of us are pretty self-sufficient in that sense. 
Mm. So this is very nice and generous response from Yoko. Mm-hmm. Props to her. And honest. We're not close, but we understand each other. Yeah. Well, it's very similar to what she said in 2010, you know, about mm-hmm. she and Paul both being sort of eclipsed by John. Mm-hmm. I love that she says, no, no, what he said, actually, I agree with him. Yeah, she doesn't take the bait about commenting specifically on fuck yeah. you, darling. I know yeah. it's funny because you you could be like, well, what the fuck do you mean? You agree with him. You're the one who said he booked the studio. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. But I think she's like, no, you know what? He's right. He was not given his due for a mm-hmm. long time. And maybe it wasn't fair. Again, she puts them on the same plane. She says, just like I suffered more or less the same thing in a way. He must have suffered yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yeah, Yoko hits on that way more often than Paul on the sort of similarity of their situation. Not just in John's mind, but, you know, on on the world stage. Well, I don't think Paul is as fond of that comparison as Yoko is. Agree. Which makes sense. He is the, the bigger star and the more celebrated artist. And this is not to degrade Yoko's talents or her um, her artistry or anything, but what Paul does is pretty extraordinary. Like a lot yes. of people try to do it and can't. Yeah, you know what I mean. Which isn't to say like anybody could do what Yoko does. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Like she's unique. She has her own style and everything. Um, it's very distinctive as an artist. But I could see why Paul would be like don't compare us but i don't think it's an insult i agree i don't think she means it well obviously she wouldn't insult him by comparing him to herself not um, at all no yeah and maybe maybe it's a bit of a message to paul like you know That's i went too. through the same thing i know how that feels i know it sucks well yeah, i was I, the one who kind of did it to you but <laughs> but still and she's right oh yeah i mean the worst thing that ever happened to her career-wise was going to Beatles sessions because it killed her career she she was never given a fair shake after that she was never evaluated on her own merits after she did that yeah but it also opened up a lot of doors for her well no doubt but it gave her exposure that she couldn't handle it gave her more exposure than she needed I think she wanted it but it wasn't good for her. Like it was too much exposure. Hmm. If you have like weird niche avant-garde art, you don't put that at the Super Bowl halftime. It's not that <laughs> there's not going to be a good result. And that's what she did. It's true. Well, that's that's fair. No, you put it on PBS at eight o'clock. Right. Yes. Yep. And it's going to go over. Yes, that's your audience. (laughs) And you're going to be better received on PBS at 8 o'clock than you are at the halftime. Yeah. Well, that's true. That's a good point. So again, like, I'm sympathetic, but at the same time, I'm like, you did that to yourself. Oh, definitely. Or or John did that to you. So, like, I mean, the the one person whose fault that is not is Paul McCartney. He is the one person you can't blame for that. He warned you about those bags yeah 
having said all that, I think she's mature enough to this point where she can see things from Paul's point of view. Mm -hmm. Like, to her immense credit, I think. I mean, I think, in general, she is good at putting herself in others' shoes. I don't know that she's always great about caring if that makes sense yeah no i i yeah i know what you're saying well whether whether you can intellectually see a counterpoint versus whether you're empathetic to somebody else's exactly those are two different things they are two different things yeah yeah but yeah she's this is this is classy of her as they say and the correct move yes like it's both (laughs) yes and if you compare this quote to Paul's quote from 2015, he comes off like a dick. Oh, totally. She took the high road. Yeah. I'm sympathetic to him for having all sorts of pain. Yeah. She hits on this frequently. And I think you're right. I think this is this is a positive thing for her to say about him. Mm-hmm. Because pain to her and to John was something of a badge of honor. Well, and like in that 2010 interview that we played the clip from she said no i don't blame him for feeling badly that i was the next partner she's being very careful about how she said it to not put it on him like you know it was his problem and then also giving him the credit of being like no 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 he doesn't have to be jealous he can just not like the situation he can right he can feel a loss yes so I think she is very sensitive to him from that perspective. I agree. Like, oddly enough, I do feel like Yoko gives Paul the most respect in terms of being John's partner and everything that that meant. I agree. I'm just looking at this uh, question about needing to forgive each other. I think it's interesting that she says that they're both pretty self-sufficient the question is do you need to forgive each other and she seems to be saying no we don't need each other's forgiveness we don't need to be forgiven yeah which is fair i mean it's kind of like she's saying we don't care enough about each other's opinion to need any you know forgiveness from the other or just that you know that they've just let it go it is what it is and we're gonna we're gonna try to operate as if we're starting from a clean slate which if if you are if you are stuck with someone that is the way to proceed i think yeah you have to try to assume good faith and leave the past in the past yeah especially if for the very much the most part your interests do align Mm -hmm. and you're old and it doesn't do you any favors to be having whatever I wonder how much easier this would have been if none of it was public. Do you know what I mean? Much easier. If the Beatles were just like a very successful local band, they didn't have camera crews and biographers and everybody around them all the time up in their business. Right. Right. Or if they were a business enterprise that was very lucrative, but that wasn't under scrutiny. Yeah. There wasn't so much reputation and prestige and status attached. Oh, it would have been a million times easier. They have the weight of the world on their shoulders, the world's expectations and scrutiny. It's their identity as artists of value, which for them both is important because they're psychotically competitive. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and in Paul's case, like his his identity since he was 20 years old was largely built on what the public thought of him. Yeah. Does that mean that he probably cares a little bit too much? Yeah, but that's what happens. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, Jesus. His baseline for like <laughs> external approval. Yeah. <laughs> was millions of people screaming in joy at him. Oh my God. He's going to have low tolerance for criticism. And like you said earlier, I wouldn't put a past Yoko to say something. <laughs> to put her foot in her mouth on purpose for publicity. Whereas I I don't think Paul does that. I think he hates it when he gets no. called out on stuff. Yeah, he yeah, hates yeah. it. Yes. <laughs> I agree. That would not be worth it for him. No. He doesn't like being criticized. No. No, he hates it. And Yoko he can, hates it. He does. Yeah. Whereas I think Yoko had a much tougher skin to begin with. Mm. But then, yeah. especially after getting blamed for the Beatles breakup and years of people hating on her singing and everything, you know, yeah, she's pretty much Teflon. Yeah. <laughs> Even in that 2010 interview, <laughs> the interviewer was like, man, people really went after you with, for the Beatles breakup. I mean, yeah, they were vicious. She's like, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> A very strange situation. Hmm. I mean, I wonder what the situation exactly is that she's talking about. For 30 or 40 years, definitely sounds like out of necessity for business purposes. But also, maybe she's saying stuck for eternity. You know, if you're John Soulmate and I'm John Soulmate, <laughs> we cannot get away from each other. Right well and maybe maybe it's both like maybe that's what's so strange about it it's like not only are they <laughs> business rivals but they're also in this weird love triangle well it's any way you cut it it's a strange situation yeah yeah it's it's almost like an understatement right definitely so how about this do you think that yoko sees herself and paul as being similar i think so yeah I think so too. Yeah. I don't think Paul does. I agree. Or if he does, he resents it and he doesn't want mm. it. he doesn't want to. <laughs> yeah, fair. Cuz Yoko is drawing comparisons between herself and Paul all the time. And this Paul is suffering thing. She hits on that a lot. That's interesting to me. Well, it makes me wonder if she wants, you know, if she really wants him to see the similarity or to see that they're in the same boat or i guess not uh -huh. the same boat <laughs> equivalent boats <laughs> right Separate analogous boats. yeah in which case it's a little bit sad to me that he won't he refuses to do it if she you know she's trying to reach out to him but but you know a cynical way to look at that would be that well she doesn't want to do that to feel closer to paul or because she cares she just wants him to do that because she because she wants more respect yeah she wants her position to be elevated mm -hmm. two things can be true 
Well, that's true too. I mean, who doesn't want respect in an elevated position? Right. And who's to say she doesn't deserve that also? Mm -hmm. I do wonder if maybe that admission to Norman about John's feelings is is kind of a way like maybe she's mm. giving Paul something. Mm. Well, you know, if it's anything to Paul, it's flattering. Well, you'd think. And it, you know, it it um it says, hey, John was so vicious, not because Paul deserved it, but because John couldn't handle his feelings for him. Well, that that's what I'm saying. That's the main thing it that's gives the... Paul. Yeah. Yeah. But Pu- like publicly. Mm-hmm. Um but even also privately if he wishes to take comfort in that uh-huh so what i'm saying is maybe if she's like well i'll give you a little you know it would be nice if you could give me a little too hmm. you know i'm the only one who respects you as like john's partner partner you know like if i give you some love credit will you give me some artistic credit Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's like i got the love story on lock i'm not worried about that anymore you know we worked hard <laughs> for that yeah. yeah but i'm getting tired of you know like being the love of john's life only gets me so far like that yes. was not the my goal in life yes you know like i'm a fucking artist i want to be respected i want my work to be acknowledged i don't want to be known as somebody's wife oh yoko too late I mean, she's made that her career. Well, I know, and she and she won. Yeah. So maybe she's like, well, now that I've won, I realize it's mm. kind of a hollow victory. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was kind of getting at. If there's a part of her that like um that resents having painted herself into the corner of like what a wonderful relationship we had yeah well i mean you know we grant that paul kind of has a complicated relationship with john's memory and Mm -hmm. you know all that sort of stuff but like yoko must as well yes and what it did to her life and her Mm -hmm. career and her name and her notoriety Mm -hmm. you know yeah I never told you, did I? Did I? Did I? Did I? I I couldn't. I I couldn't. I found an online article from The List from 2021 summarizing the state of their relationship over the past decade. It says, Paul McCartney and Yoko Ono have both commented on how their relationship has grown over the years. In 2013, McCartney told Rolling Stone that things were looking good between the two for a simple reason. Quote, if John loved her, there's got to be something. He's not stupid. Oh, that's very faint praise, Paul. Oh, it's 
it's faint to the point of being an insult. Ono responded to the statement fairly quickly, telling the Associated Press that she realized how much fun her husband had with his best friend. He was my husband's partner, and they did a great job and all that, she mused. They seemed to have a lot of fun, and I respected that. Okay. <laughs> they seemed to have a lot of fun. I Which don't Which I know. respected. I, I, I respect fun. <laughs> above all things. <laughs> That's what it says on my card. Yoko Ono. Fun time respecter. <laughs> it's all about the fun with me. <laughs> They're both so terrible, though. They're both like, I don't know, I guess there was something there. I don't really see it myself. Yeah. But uh, I guess, yeah, I guess John was Paul's into is it. L- Paul's-, <laughs> yeah. Paul's is light years worse, though. If John left her, there's got to be something. <laughs> He's not stupid. Although, to be fair, he has said the same thing about himself by way of defending himself. So, yeah. You know, you know, it might just be his trademark understatement. <laughs> yeah, he does have a, have a like a weird way with words sometimes. Yeah, I do think it's faint praise, and it is fun to roast him for it. But oh, exactly. But I think he really is being sincere. He's just like, look, John loved her. I respect him. I respect their relationship. Oh, I agree. I I agree. It's genuine faint praise. <laughs> <laughs> it genuinely reflects the limit of his regard for her. Oh my god! <laughs> wow. All right. Well, more faint praise. McCartney later elaborated <laughs> on their reconciliation, noting that it wasn't easy, but it's been worth it. As with most things that are good in the end. The pair both had to work on putting their differences aside. He noted via CNN in 2016. It was a little hard at first. Gradually we did. Now it's like we're mates. I like Yoko. It's it's fine. He's been diplomatic. Yeah, it's like we're mates. Well, what is, why is he why should he have to go into any of this? He's just trying he's, to say he's just saying something nice exactly he's just trying to get to the next question it's fine she's cool i'm cool we're not i'm not mad it's none of your business next kind of sums up where they are i think so they're they're trying to just be cool yeah i think she's probably a touch warmer towards him than vice versa but i agree yeah yeah it's and it's interesting because this is a flip-flop of the 80s I think Paul was much more generous than vice versa in the 80s. We don't know why. I mean, maybe something good happened in Yoko's life. Or like we said, maybe it's her getting some recognition, getting some love from the public. Maybe she had therapy. Maybe she had good therapy. Mm -hmm. And she's like, fuck it. I'm leaving all that shit behind now. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to be a better person. Like maybe she's just in a better place than Paul is or... Mm -hmm. Or maybe she's just playing the game better. I mean, we don't really know. However. (laughs) If John Wenner is to be believed. Yeah, then that tells you, you know, I I think that tells you how she really feels. Yeah, if we can trust Wenner, then yeah. 
So, as we approach the end of the series, we need to talk about Sean, who has taken over Yoko's duties. He's the first beetle child to ascend. Yes. The strange bedfellows now are Sean and Paul, and not so much <laughs> Yoko and Paul. That's weird. So he's in a room with Ringo, well, Olivia, and Paul. Yeah, I was going to say, well, not Danny, but no, it's not Danny. It's, it's Olivia. A, yeah, it will be Danny. Yeah. It might be It might be both of them. Danny might be. Yeah, that's a know. good point. Yeah. I hope so, for Sean's sake, because that's awkward. Well, <laughs> and Mary might be there, too. Well, that's true. Yeah. Or Stella or both. How much has Sean inherited his mother's point of view? We don't know exactly. We know that he loves his mom and he's very loyal to her. But, you know, I'm sure he also has his own point of view and his own mm -hmm. opinion on things. Of course. <laughs> and, he's, and he's never said anything to indicate he has any ill feelings or dismisses Paul at all. At all. Like, from what yeah. we can tell, his relationship with Paul seems to have never been anything but good. Mm -hmm. We've seen all of them photographed together over the years. Sean has been seen at Stella McCartney fashion shows in the last decade, hanging out with James McCartney, doing public events and lunches and stuff like that with the McCartneys and with Danny Harrison as well. Mm -hmm. And his brother. All of the kids seem to get along I was about to say there I I've never seen any hint of tension between them which is very refreshing. It is good for them. I think it's nice that they show up to support each other at various things. Well, it is and no one else understands the situation that they're all in. Well, that's for damn sure. So, it's good that if nothing else that relations are warm enough that they are willing to do that for appearance's sake. Like, even that is still a yeah. good thing. Right, exactly. It's still meaningful. Yeah. Um, in 2017, Yoko and Sean accepted an award for Imagine. And I think this was the same time when Yoko was uh, awarded co-author of that song. She was in a wheelchair and appeared to be recovering from a medical event. Um, it's a very cute video. Sean is very sweet and funny. I learned so much from uh, having this illness, and uh, I am very thankful that I went through that. Hello, everyone. And this is the best time of my life. That's great. <laughs> And I love the fact that uh, Sean and I are together. <laughs> and I'm so surprised that Sean created his own niche. Let's not talk about me, Mum. <laughs> but thank you very much. She's my only fan. Anyway, I think it's probably around this time, if not a little bit before, that Sean started to take on the Lennon estate slash Beatle duties full-time. Yeah. Because in a 2013 article for the Times, Yoko says, there's a lot I have to do. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I do those on the weekends. I have so many business things, copyright issues. I'm hands-on 
a control freak, I suppose, especially with John's stuff, I want to do the right thing. So that makes it sound like she definitely was running the social medias. Mm-hmm. And presumably making all the big decisions until she got ill or whatever. But in any case, Sean is now in charge of John's estate. And I mean, that effectively ends Paul and Yoko's relationship because yeah. it ends the necessity of their relationship. Exactly. And if there's no necessity, I don't think there's going to be a lot going on. To say nothing of whether Yoko is up to maintaining any sort of distant social relationship at this point. Right. Well, and she may or may not be in yeah, we, any position to nothing. give any other interviews or to give us any other information or even say anything about Paul. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so that might effectively be the end of their relationship. I mean, I hope she was able to to watch get back. Oh, I hope so, too. I hope she has been able to receive some of the newfound wave of love that she's received from Get Back. Yeah. Get Back was good for Yoko's reputation, and I hope that she was able to enjoy that. Yeah, so like all that said, let's take a look at Sean and Paul. Starting with a quote from 2010. So... This would be while Yoko is still healthy and in control of the estate and publicly getting along with Paul, a year after Meet Free Monday. <laughs> Sean tells the London Telegraph, I'm just so excited when I'm around him. It's like when you see a white buffalo and you just hold your breath. You're just hoping that it's not going to end. Because, he adds quietly, it's the closest I can come to hanging out with my dad. Every second I've ever spent with Paul has been really meaningful to me. He was my dad's best mate for a long time, and my dad didn't have many friends, you know? That is really sweet, but also bittersweet that John yeah. didn't have many friends. Uh, oh, that is yeah. sad, <laughs> but it's a very sweet quote. Yeah, Paul totally cried when he read this. <laughs> <laughs> How awesome is it to be to be called a white buffalo, though? That's pretty Yeah, badass. right? It's totally badass. <laughs> I'm surprised he hasn't named an album White Buffalo. That'd be a great name. So in 2020, Paul gave Sean an interview for the, on the BBC for John's birthday. Paul's notoriously tricky to interview, but uh, Sean did a good job, I guess. Oh, yeah. And, and Paul's more likely to be a little bit more open because I think his feelings of affection for Sean are 100% genuine. I agree. Yeah, Paul loves babies. <laughs> They'll always be babies to him. That's John's baby, yeah. Mm -hmm. Paul's stuck mostly just old, you know, standard stories and responses, but Sean was cool and he was happy to reiterate several times how close John and Paul were. Which is what Paul wants most, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Now, also in 2020, Sean... Yeah. <laughs> Sean talked to Rolling Stone about the Gimme Some Truth box set. No mention of Paul helping John compose the title track, which we all saw on Get Back. And, by the way, which John acknowledged in his own handwriting in 1971, Gimme Some Truth. Oh, the irony. <laughs> mm, oh, look at you. Right? But yeah. anyway. what well, The main thing we want to talk about is Sean's comments about how do you sleep? He did say this. When I interviewed Paul, obviously I didn't bring up that song. I don't want to offend him. It's as simple as that. 
A funny story is that one of the first times I ever got to hang out with Paul when I was young, I think I was 12 or 13. One of the first times I ever actually spoke to him for more than just a hi or a handshake, I was very precocious as some teenagers can be. I really regret saying this, but I said something like, what do you think of how do you sleep with this crazy maniacal grin? Because I'd always loved that song musically. And still to this day, it blows my mind. It's funky, it's groovy, it's sexy. George Harrison's solo is incredible. I just regret saying that. I was like, the lyrics might have been mean or whatever, but isn't it musically a great song? And looking back, I just feel like, why did you say that? It was like the one thing you shouldn't say. But he was very nice about it. I still worry about talking about this song because I don't want him to think that I'm trying to be provocative. I don't know what their personal disagreement was exactly. I know that my dad thought too many people, the song on Ram, was sort of like a dig at my mom and dad. And so How Do You Sleep was the rap battle answer. So what do we think of this decision, of these comments, of this continuing, this continuing habit of dragging How Do You Sleep into the public eye and then talking about it? I honestly, I don't think this will affect his relationship with Paul at all. I don't think so either. Whatever. I mean, he decided to keep it in the box set. I don't necessarily think it needs to go in the box set, but I'm not in <laughs> charge. Of, honestly, like if if I was in charge and I didn't care about Paul McCartney, I'd be like, fuck Paul McCartney, who cares? Put it in. Right. It doesn't really have any teeth against Paul anymore. Yeah. It's history. It is history. John regretted writing it. So it's, again, a little weird to put into the commemorative John Lennon compilations, I guess. Also, it's not a rap battle. It's a lover's quarrel. Word. Also, I have no time for this whole Paul started it with Ram bullshit. Y'all need to quit pretending that Lennon remembers never happened. That's all I have to say. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of whatever about it. The fact that that Sean, you know, like he's however old he is, like 45 or whatever, and he just like needed to get that off his chest. It's like it's been bothering me since I was 12 that I said that. <laughs> I ran up to him and was like, ah, "What do you think?" Yeah, isn't it a cool song? I mean, I know it like it was probably one of the worst things that ever happened to you, but and was the nadir of your relationship with my dad. Not that Sean should have understood that at 12. Oh, I, but... Yeah, of course. And of course, Paul would look at it that way, too. He's not going to take that any kind of way. To lead a better life I need my love to be here In 2022, Sean did an Instagram tribute to Paul. He sang a version of Here, There, and Everywhere. And he wrote, Happy Birthday! Thank you for all the beautiful music. You have mine and the whole world's undying love and respect. So, the Beatles' torch is officially in the process of being passed to the next generation. What clues do we have so far of how the kids will handle their legacies? We're going to pull two important paragraphs from the David Remnick article for The New Yorker. This is a profile on Paul in late 2000. 21 just ahead of the get back release 
Stella McCartney was in tears when she watched the film with her father. It did occur to me, watching it, that we spent a lot of our childhood with Dad recovering from the turmoil and the breakup, she told me. Can you imagine being such a critical part of that creation and then having it crumble? And as children, we were part of a process in which our dad was mourning. It was not an easy thing for dad, and it lasted for a lot longer than we probably knew. John Lennon, who was five when his father was killed, and who now, with Yoko Ono's having withdrawn from public life, represents the family's interests in the Beatles' business, told me, Time has sort of made us all grow to soften our edges and appreciate each other much more. Paul is a hero to me, on the same shelf as my dad. My mom loves Paul, too. She really appreciates him. They've had tensions in the past, and no one is trying to deny it. But all the tension we ever had, hyperbolized or not, makes it a real story about real human beings. So, some of this is kind of heavy. I love that that these things came out with Get Back. That it really humanized all of them and gave everyone more empathy for everyone. That's the best case scenario. Right? That is the... That's a concrete way in which our world has legitimately gotten better over the past few decades. Yes. That is an undeniably better way to look at the world. Yes. I want to talk about these two different perspectives, though. Okay. Okay? Stella's and Sean's. These are both really important perspectives. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say... Stella and Sean seem like they are the same age and they more or less are, but they are, they're like four years apart, mm-hmm. which is not a, in the grand scheme of things, like once you're over the age of 30, four years is like nothing. Well, it's like the same age per, virtually. Well, right. But in terms of childhood experience, very different. Well, especially since John was killed in 1980, right? Right. So Sean was five. Stella was nine. Mm-hmm. That's that's quite a big difference. So obviously she's viewing this through her dad's eyes or her mom's eyes, you know, but in any case, she's empathizing with her father. I mean, she's watching it with her father. Yeah. Well, and she knows him. Like she understands what his body language and tones of voice mean. Oh my God. Do you know what I mean? So if this is what she's taking away, She's definitely seeing things about Paul and Get Back that we cannot see. Mm. Well, this is this is another quote that sort of <laughs> feeds into my theory that um, yeah. Paul's children are not super fond of John Lennon. They're not big yeah. fans of John Lennon <laughs> as a person. I, yeah, I agree. I don't see any, I can't think of any, any quotes from them that express feelings like that toward John. I think they see him as the guy who hurt their dad (laughs) beyond repair a little bit. Yeah. Well, and also dragged him through the mud publicly and made his life really hard. Right in a way that impacted their childhood yeah which maybe they didn't 
you know, well, obviously they wouldn't have been cognizant of that at the time, but looking back, you know, it might be like, oh, that's what that was about. When dad would do X, Y, and Z, that was about John. That was about, yeah, you know, the breakup. And what did my mom have to go through too? Mm. Yes, absolutely. How did it, you know, impact their marriage? How much undeserved space in my dad's brain did John take up that should have gone to my mom? Yes. Or us? Yeah. I don't have any po- quotes to pull out that says, no. you know, Mary or Stella or Heather are there. At no point are they going to say John was a real piece of shit, you know. Definitely, definitely not. <laughs> they have never said that. They will never <laughs> say anything like that. Okay. They will not. Nope. They, w- they won't and they haven't. So, you know, just to be clear, this is just my impression. Also, I don't, I don't necessarily think they dislike Yoko or Sean, just mm. Sean, just Sean. And yeah. also I might be completely off base. But it also makes sense. Well, it makes complete sense that that's their point of view. Right. Cause they, they care about their mom and dad. The Beatles are people that their dad cares about. But from their point of view, people who didn't always treat him good and sometimes treated him like shit. Yeah. And Stella in particular described herself as being very protective of her parents, even as a child. I'm sure they all are, but yeah, (laughs) Stella seems like a bit of a bulldog in a good way. Juxtaposing that with Sean very different i think i think that sean a genuinely holds no ill will toward paul but b might also be invested in kind of signaling like hey yeah 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 yeah. it's gonna be all good with me you know i'm not (laughs) yeah for sure i'm i'm not gonna be moon in june 2.0 he does all the right signaling yes to say paul is important and we respect him and we're not in direct competition with him anymore Sean obviously loves his mom, wants his mom to be loved and recognized for her own, as an artist in her own right. Well, yeah, not to be insulted and vilified. For God's sake. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And as long as they get that, I think Sean is perfectly fine with Paul and the Beatles. There is one last thing we want to share. Paul McCartney published a book of his lyrics in 2021. The book is called The Lyrics. There's a very interesting passage on Yoko. It's interesting that it's even about Yoko in the first place. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the content is also very interesting. It is also very interesting. It is for the song Golden Earth Girl. Here's what he has to say. Though this song is primarily an ode to Linda, who really was a Golden Earth Girl, and my wife of 24 years by the time this was released. It also gives a... <laughs> by the way, she was also my wife. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> it also gives a little bit of a nod towards John and Yoko. Yoko often said things like, look at that cloud, or used words connected with nature. Okay. 
I'd always liked that about her work. And then John picked up on it later with his surreal way of swapping things around. What? I've known Yoko since she'd arrived in London in the mid-60s. In fact, I met her before John met her. See, I think that this is a way to shoehorn in that story. Ah. He, he is getting that story in every oh, okay. fucking book, at every opportunity that he has. He is so put, funny. He is, girl, I am telling you. Then in 1975, he and Yoko had a baby boy, Sean, so we had even more in common, and we'd often talk about being parents. So that was all good, until he was killed. And of course, from then on, really, I was very sympathetic to Yoko. I'd lost my friend, but she'd lost her husband and the father of her child. In his lyrics, John would include allusions to Yoko and nature, like using Ocean Child in the song Julia, which I understand is how her name translates into English. And I'm using similar sort of imagery here for Linda. Good clear water, friend of wilderness. Funnily enough, John wrote a song for the White Album called Child of Nature that didn't end up on the record. And he rewrote it as Jealous Guy, which was for me. As I've said, Linda really helped me find another side of myself. If anyone deserves the title Child of Nature, it's her. Not that I've talked about her in this 500-word essay about this song, except for in a sentence at the beginning and at the end. The rest of it is the story of John and Yoko. Very odd, very odd. Once they were an item, there was the whole Beatles recording thing where she would be there too. I think this started at the beginning of the White Album sessions. And at first, we all, all of us except John, found it pretty intrusive. But we went along with it and worked around her. And eventually I came to the realization that, look, if John loves her, we've just got to let it be. And we've got to support this relationship. Then a year or two later, the Beatles broke up. And it was a bad period, a real low point, where everyone was taking pot shots at everyone. And I felt that John and Yoko were particularly good in the pot shot department, <laughs> saying things in interviews or comments that would make their way back to you. They would say not always very pleasant things. And looking back on it, I sort of mm. think, why? You're annoyed? So say something unpleasant? Question mark. So that's like him saying that to them. Wow. You're just going to be a dick because you're annoyed? Hmm. Over time, things got better. New York, baby boy Sean, talking about parents. It was all good. John died. I was very sympathetic to Yoko. Yeah. I mean, maybe he's just free, um, free associating. Well, it's possible that he's going off on a tangent and just starts telling the story. Mm -hmm. Or maybe this was part of his agenda. Right. Which is fine if this is just like an autobiography, but it's mm -hmm. kind of annoying if it's a lyrics book because you really kind of want him to focus on the lyrics, right? Yeah. But whatever. It's it's both. It's a hybrid biography, lyrics analysis or whatever. Paul does everything his own way, right? He's always going <laughs> to... He always is, and he is not good at explaining his own lyrics. Yeah, and he's weird. And he's also and not... He's he's not good about talking about his feelings so he's gonna yeah. do this weird <laughs> mashup of like yeah i'm i'm trying to speak my mind but i'm also 
running in corners like a scared rabbit. But one way or another, I'm going to say some things that I feel need to be recorded permanently. So yeah. there's the John Cage story. Again, he's getting that down mm-hmm. one more time. That can't go on the record enough times as far as he's concerned. So looking back on this series, this story is definitely the Yoko talking point he is most adamant and most preoccupied with. Yeah. Why? Why is this story so important for him to get on the record ad nauseum? Okay, so, I mean, first of all, it establishes his avant-garde cred, you know. Um, It shows that Yoko was not a stranger to him in 1968 when mm. John started dating her. In, in other words, like, it's not a clean slate. Like, John yes. did not introduce Yoko to Paul. This is a person he already knew. And I think also he wants to show that, contrary to the storyline about him being a conservative square who's always clutching his pearls at this crazy art, you know, mm-hmm. he's not shocked by her art. Or that, you know, even if he didn't want the Beatles to become yoko's act which he definitely didn't Um, well of course not of course not why would he it doesn't mean that he had a problem with her being her yeah or was you know again too square to comprehend the avant-garde he is defending his position as a band member as a band co-leader why it wasn't intrusive and invasive and maybe also he's just kind of saying like you know we've we've got backstory for the record you know because I, I think he already knows that history at some point is going to be like what was your problem paul mccartney why didn't mm-hmm. why were you so uncool with mm-hmm. yoko do you have some sort of problem you know <laughs> and like so i i think he he is kind of saying like well you know for the record uh this was a very difficult situation and also like I was pretty accommodating and I did eventually back off and just say like I want John to be happy if he's you know mm-hmm. if he has a good thing with Yoko I'm gonna step aside and also not for nothing but they were dicks yeah during the breakup like they were fucking vicious yeah there is a danger I think of that storyline being lost over time yes because as we know this story is very partisan the beatles can be a very partisan game and unless you have a diverse group of people representing all sides and being empathetic to everybody you're gonna get finger pointing people are gonna look for a villain Right. And if, if John and Yoko are a beautiful love story, then the others are in the position of having to defend any hint that they were against them, you know, or just couldn't recognize their love or, or whatever. Obviously, it's not fair that Yoko is the villain of the story, but at the same time, like the solution to that is not to make Paul the villain of the story. Well, exactly. Despite Paul's habitual massive understatement of everything it was very intrusive and very 
deleterious to his process for Yoko to be there all the time. He couldn't write with John anymore. Doesn't make her evil. And to see it from her point of view, I mean, she's being wedged between these two people mm-hmm. who love each other so much they're ruining the lives of everybody around them including themselves yes they can't deal with it they can't express it to each other and they don't have any good solution for it so Mm -hmm. so she's just she's caught up in it paul's caught up in it john and linda are caught up in it and the kids and everyone if this is a real story about real human beings then like it or not we're gonna have to see it from everybody's point of view and we're gonna have to be empathetic to everybody one final note if at the end of this series you find that yoko comes off worse it's worth remembering that in so many ways paul has always had the structural and financial advantage over her yoko has never been beloved the way that paul is and women and women of color definitely are routinely given less benefit of the doubt furthermore yoko has been subject both explicitly and implicitly to misogynistic biases about a woman's place as a mother as a wife and as an artist if however you find that paul comes off worse We'd ask you to bear in mind that despite the extreme public scrutiny he's been under virtually his entire life, the depth of his relationship with John and some of the underlying causes of his worst experiences with John and Yoko have been invisible to the greater public. As much as Paul's songwriting partnership with John was and is respected and lauded, he has also had to live with the public perception of being repellent to a man who in fact deeply loved him. And erasure on that scale can hogtie a person psychologically and can lead to fixations that come off as petty and to microaggressions that seem misplaced. There was fault on both sides. There were genuine misunderstandings and neither is above fighting a little dirty if they think they need to. But ultimately, in all the ways that really matter, their personal interests do align. And I think they've realized that it's to nobody's advantage to perpetuate the state of Cold War, complete with veiled threats and, you know, the the looming threat of mutually assured destruction. (laughs) That's not how they want to spend their lives. And it's definitely not how they want their children to spend their lives. Oh, definitely not. I think ultimately, like everybody on earth, everybody here is looking to be loved and understood. Yeah, or at least, at the very least, respected. I don't know that Yoko truly wants to be understood. (laughs) But, you know, I'm serious, which is fine. But, like, she, she's not terribly self-revealing there are there are so many you know unusual and eyebrow raising things about her that she deliberately conceals i think being mysterious suits her just fine paul is sort of half and half he's sort of of the classic like (laughs) the classic struggle between the desire to be loved and the fear of being known (laughs) yeah or the desire to be left alone 
I think Yoko summed it up pretty well. She and Paul have been in a very strange situation for 50 years now. After all that time, are they close? No. But they've come to understand each other. They don't need to forgive, and they don't need to be forgiven. Thank you, as always, dear listeners, for listening to Another Kind of Mind. <laughs> and congratulations! You have made it through this entire series! Woo-hoo. Yeah! And so have we! We did it! I feel like we're all strange bedfellows now. This was a fun one. I agree. Which, it, w- it was also fun making our other series. Yes. Those were a little more tortured, I feel. They absolutely angsty. I mean, yeah, very dramatic, very engrossing, and I do highly recommend them, but... Uh... Oh, yeah, for sure. Please, everyone, do listen to them. Uh, Daphne, should we let the people know what we've got planned for 2023? Well, for starters, we have a series that is going to... Wait, 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 that's it, that's enough. Oh, okay. Um, we also have an episode or two, or three, we'll see, that concern... John and Paul. No, 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 no. That's you said too much already. Don't <laughs> say anymore. That, that one. We were, I'm excited okay. about that one, but don't. Uh, you get, come on. Okay. Oh, but tell them about the the other one. The one. Oh, that, the other one. Yeah. yeah. So there are definitely some things that we. That's enough. That's. I think you've covered it. It'll be good. It'll be good. Well, that's for sure. It's gonna be amazing. Thank you, everyone, for all of your messages. We love your kind words, questions, and feedback. Keep your mail messages coming. We will most likely do another mailbag episode in the future. So you can send your hate mail to Daphne at acom.mailbag. <laughs> I promise to read them. I think any emotion from Paul has a little bit of corniness. I have to He's just baseline. <laughs> Regretfully. No, you may yeah. not come in, Paul McCartney. You <laughs> devil witch magic child. Study of assholes. Sounds like a John and Yoko film. It does. <laughs> Shove what in and where are we shoving it? <laughs> Sweet and sour, spicy, umami. It's like, oh, I see breasts and my hormones disengage. What? There's only room for one special snowflake on this boat. Sometimes it almost looks like it hurts. Look at that cloud. Or used words connected with nature. Okay, like everyone, every artist ever. (laughs) (laughs) I'm collecting, you know, used tea bags for John Cage. You know, like Paul totally would have given her a used tea bag. I've never felt so terrible in my life. (laughs) Crippling burden, that will be with me forever. As they do in Britain, you complete perverts. You know what? That's a great premise for an episode. What was it that Paul said? He's a he's a real serious dude. Yes. <laughs> Does he just string worse? <laughs> John even said, you know, like 
if I, I may go gang one day if I find a fellow who turns me on enough. Like, Paul, that's Paul. that's what being bi is, Paul. Yes! <laughs> that's literally what that means. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. If you want me to insert it, yeah. Yeah. And I know you want me to, you slut. <laughs> I don't think they are all acting out of love. <laughs> Why don't we have the playdate at George's house this weekend? <laughs> It's so sexy. Ugh. Don't you think it's sexy, Paul? Every time I hear it, I get a hard on. <laughs> Thinking about my dad really giving it to you. <laughs> and my mom cheering him on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, give John, it to give him. it to him. <laughs> so sexy. And George Harrison is there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, providing the mood music. <laughs> Trisha's personal hell. I'm glad we have each other. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs>